Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Calls joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going this week? It's going pretty well. You want to know why? Why? Because it's Kate's birthday this week. Woo! Woo! Yes, it is my birthday week this week. It is not my birthday day. Um, but it was a, a nice, very relaxing day of teaching for 12 hours. But I did have like a couple like 15-minute breaks. So, well, one, because a couple students were very late. But then I got to eat. So that was nice. Oh, see, getting to eat on your birthday is the best. It is. And a couple kids brought me, like, a birthday, like, Fannie Mae, like, thing. And the okay. be- the best present of all, though, was that pretty much everybody who was supposed to pay me paid me. <gasps> yes. It's a birthday miracle. <laughs> 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 Listeners, if, if you have any uh, children or you yourself take music lessons, please please pay your teachers on time because we're, we're musicians. That means we don't make money. Which means we kind of need the money you're supposed to pay us to do things like pay rent. So it's always it's always appreciated when everybody pays on time. Yeah, paying on time. Woo-hoo. And I even send invoices too because I know most people don't because I'm just I'm just like weird. But anyways, I'm getting it's good to, to have a paper trail. Yeah, right, right. Mm-hmm. It's nice to be very obsessively over organized and everything. Um, and I'm gonna use that paper trail to pivot us to our top of episode discussion because. Noel, how is that spreadsheet coming for you? Have you kept up with your TV watching of the year spreadsheet? I have. Like, I, I opened it, like, um, when was the last time I opened it? I think I can, it's actually been, like, a week since I opened it. So I've been doing a nice job keeping up with it and adding things as necessary. See, you're much also, better than I am. And deleting that. things that I'm just like, I'm not going to watch this that I had put in there. And it's just like, nope, I'm not watching you. Nope, that's not happening. That's yeah. not happening. Yeah. So we'll no, I'm doing okay on that front. Yeah, I still have my list of like 20 shows that I want to try to finish. I can cross one off though, because at the end of the show, listeners, Noel and I are going to be talking about Chewing Gum, which is a Channel 4 show from the UK that you can watch on Netflix. And that was on my list of things to catch up with. But yep. now I've seen it, so I can cross that off. Um, this week, there's been some discussion uh, in TV Twitter about a piece that Tim Goodman wrote for The Hollywood Reporter about the reality of being a critic in, and, and also just a, a consumer of TV consumer, in yeah. peak TV. You know, when there's all this TV that people can't watch, um, all of it, and even people who are passionate about the medium can't possibly keep up with it, let alone those who make TV definitely yeah. don't watch TV. <laughs> Um, so what did, what did you think of, of his, this article and, and what Goodman had to say? Well, I guess for our listeners who haven't read it, why don't you summarize it for us, Noel? Sure. So one of the things he points out is that, as you were saying, there's just so much TV that you can't be expected to watch all of it anymore um, as a critic. It was a lot easier 15, 20, 30 years ago uh, before, you know, cable programming got really serious about um, scripted programming. Mm-hmm. And even then it was, you could mostly dismiss it as well. Um, And so, but the other thing that he factors in is the fact that everyone's watching on different schedules now, Mm -hmm. um, which is something that's been happening for longer than like he's necessarily contextualizing. 
but insofar as like you were just alluding to your big list of things to catch up on whereas i don't even bother with a list it's just like no 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 i don't need that kind of stress (laughs) i'll just worry about it later um and so and how do you write about something that no one's going to necessarily watch or in the case of like episodic reviews you have to deal with the fact that um people may come to your review like six months later and how do you keep that circulating and get those clicks that so desperately needed and this is a little more businessy than maybe some of our listeners necessarily care about but as two people who write um episodic reviews but freelance it's not something that we worry too much about but it's something we're probably cognizant of it's certainly affected like what gets like what coverage gets picked up and and how reliant sites like the ones that we write for uh that we freelance for are on episodic reviews versus more evergreen pieces yeah so all of that was like swirling around in his piece because he had gone on vacation and didn't actually take much of a vacation because he decided to catch up on some stuff and I, I thought about this because we cover a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. a lot. Like we watch, I, between the two of us, I think even with counting the overlap, we probably each watch about at least 15 to 18 shows a week, if yeah. not more, yeah. depending. And that's, and that's, like, a, that's a lot. <laughs> it's not counting the, the ones when we like binge a season. Right. Yeah. Or like when I'm just like, I'm going to fill some gaps by watching Perot. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, I, I've got 90 minutes to kill. I can watch this show from 2009 and, you know, who cares? Mm-hmm. But there's a lot, we cover a lot. And mm-hmm. I think that's like one of the perks of our shows that we cover a lot, but it also means we watch a lot of television. And for folks who just write about it more regularly, it's like, well, I don't know what I'm going to write about this week, how I'm going to write about it. And I, I just think it's an interesting discussion because even like, he discussed like having to cover premieres, but what's the point in covering a premiere anymore, really? Mm-hmm. And then this idea of covering something when it ends is maybe more productive. And like th- to the, like this week's point, neither of us watched FX's Snowfall. Yeah. Um, in part because I saw the reviews and went, oh, it doesn't get really interesting for seven episodes. I- I- I'm not going to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I think that it was just an interesting question because he's talking about scaling back and you and I have sort of discussed scaling back, but we never seem to actually scale back. Oh, but no, <laughs> this is me scaled back. <laughs> Remember there was a time in television history where I watched at least the first episode of every single network show. Yeah. And I'd stop doing that because I was going insane. Um, yeah. so, so this is scaled back for, for, for me. So yeah, it's certainly, and you talk about snowfall. I was looking at the list of episodes to watch when I had a little time and I was like, you know what? That might be a very interesting, very good show. And likely, um, certainly if people are talking about it, but that will be on like something that I'm aware of. And I try to catch the pilot in the next you know week or two, but I, nothing about the, like the ads I've seen and the, like the little bit I know about it grabs me. It just mostly feels like it's going to be a really depressing show. So instead, I'm gonna rewatch Great British Baking Show so I can talk about it with Noel. You know, like with it more fresh in my mind because I would much rather watch people make churros than <laughs> than, than watch this depressing, very likely double length pilot because I know how that's that's Ugh, how FX. so many FX shows go. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting conversation to have. Um, for me, the piece w- was both ahead of where people are and very behind where people are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, this notion that, oh, there's so much, you can't possibly watch it all. It's like, 
Yeah, we were we were saying this three years ago. Um, and not just the televerse, not just us individually. Noel, I know we talked we've talked about this for years, even before you were, were on the on the podcast. Like, this is not a new idea. And yet, I think it also discounts. I think it's very much in a bubble because um, I know lots of people who watch the TV that's on TV, who who might have Netflix or Amazon, but like they don't they don't watch everything streaming. They don't binge Better Call Saul and something else. If they they watch it while it's on, and they set a they may set a, a series a season recording, um, but they don't like go back and watch older network shows or cable shows that they're behind on they just kind of browse around netflix and watch something that way or they watch whatever's on tv um so i think we're in an interesting i think that's actually for me the more interesting conversation to have what do you do when the the people most passionate about tv are doing what this article describes which is like keeping a list of shows they want to catch up on um those are the people who are likeliest to go see seek out articles and click but there's also a lot of people who aren't watching TV that way, who are absolutely still watching premieres and finales. And don't tell me if premieres and finales don't matter when we're about to get to Game of Thrones. Not that many shows that are like that, but The Walking Dead is like that. Game of Thrones is like that. And there are there are a handful of, of shows like that that, that are still going to be huge in driving content. So uh, I was sort of torn reading this article. I was like, this feels more like a problem for critics and for people who are very passionate about covering with covering TV and staying up to date with TV. But I do think it's a little bit, I think it's a little bit precious because this is something that every other medium has dealt with a long time ago. No music critic has re- has listened to every CD. No bo- book critic has read every book. No no film critic has seen every movie. I feel like it's very similar to the film world, where there's a handful of movies, the, the big ones that everybody's buzzing about, everybody's talking about. They're from showrunners or directors that people care about and are following. And they get and people tend to catch those. And then there's the other ones that you happen to see that you're a champion of. Um, and I feel like if all these other mediums have managed to cover their medium in that way for decades, if not longer, I feel like TV will be okay too. Yeah. And I think books is probably books and music are probably the two that are most comparative just in terms of sheer output. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, just, just because movies, I think you can kind of like skip, even if you're not tasked with necessarily reviewing a particular movie, it's easy to catch it mm-hmm. because it's, it's short. <laughs> It's short, but also there's only there's only so many movies that come out each week that you're going to be tasked to watch or have to think about watching. Unless you're trying to follow independent filmmakers or you're going to festivals or I mean, there are thousands of movies that come out every year. (laughs) Yeah, but I but like on a week to week sort of thing. I mean, Mm -hmm. the degree to which that you have to keep up with something is different. Mm -hmm. So but like the sheer output with like uh, books and Books music is basically it's why you had people who had beats for music reviews. It's just, yeah, I I can't expect everyone to listen to all of this. Plus specialization as well, mm-hmm. which I don't see television gearing into a sort of specialization sort of sort of for especially for like gen, for general publications. You're not going to have a genre critic. You're not going to have a drama television critic. 
Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we should, but... Um... Well, I think you start to see that at certainly at websites where there are websites that specialize. That right. This is a and... site that's going to cover all the superhero shows. This is a right. site that's going to cover all the genres. This is a site you go to for, for comedy reviews, that kind of a thing. Yeah, and this, which is why I said like more general publication. Yeah. Um, even if you may sometimes get like reviewers who just have been pigeonholed in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's one of the reasons why I was also just kind of okay with like, I'm, I'm not really super interested in Snowfall. Plus, mm. I watched Danger and Eggs instead. And I feel very <laughs> good about that choice, as we'll discuss in a few minutes. And so I think just navigating priorities. But I think the other thing is that it allows for more personalization. Yeah. in what we watch and that that i think is useful as well in terms of having like a really personal reaction to something and as opposed to not necessarily not to put a divide between like an idea of the personal and the analytic but in that you can make stuff make space for the the stuff that you have a more personal connection to and that excites you or moves you in a particular way and you don't feel obligated to necessarily watch something else yeah. Well, and if you're as soon as you're not trying to watch everything, I think it's very easy to pare down because yeah. there is a lot of TV that is at sort of the same very good level yeah. that um if a show doesn't grab you, if it doesn't have a character or a setting or a a theme or some element that really speaks to you to you in some way, it all can turn into noise pretty quickly. Um, yeah. So, so I I think that makes sense to stop trying to cover everything and instead find the show you are passionate about and watch that and you know go onto your social media and and preach from the rooftops to get more converters. <laughs> Hashtag Terrace House tweets that no one read. Exactly. Woo! Well, and that's this as for critics. That's also the, those are the shows you're going to be better at writing about too that's much yeah. more interesting than everyone trying to churn out a 24-hour breaking bad review but only a few reviews are going to be interesting or meaningful anyways um right so i think it is will lead to better criticism and now will that lead to a more stable sphere for <laughs> the financially for critics no 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 critics uh, tv critics are in trouble with that and i think even just following some of the the bigger names online for tv criticism in the past five ten years you have seen that people who you would think would have significant job security have not had that um so who knows what that means for for the livelihood of tv critics but um but as for you know the the actual writing itself, as so, the sooner people embrace the write about what speaks to you model, the the, the better, at least as, as as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and you know you can pay the freelancers do the clickbait shows, which I mean, is yeah. kind of what <laughs> happens now. Yeah. Um, and not, not not where I work, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the ones that people don't feel like they have interesting things to say about it, or it's a real real chore to 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 churn out a overnight review that kind of a thing it's it's just gets more exhausting the more you do it the more exhausting it gets listeners it does not get easier over time but um yeah it's an interesting thing i'd love to hear from listeners what they what they have to say about this but i i i really do find for me like 
in my viewing this week, I could have caught up with Better Call Saul. I could have caught up with um, a couple behind an orphan black. I could have caught up with several shows that before I would have felt like I had to see. I still have only seen the first episode of Fargo, but um, I don't really care that I'm behind on those ones because you know what? Winona Earp is killing it. And we're going to talk about that later in this week. And we watched danger and eggs and it was delightful. And we're going to talk about that too. And these shows that don't and Kate watched Castlevania. And we're going to talk <laughs> about that too. Well, so did you at least a little, um, yeah, uh, I yeah. finished it, but you only watched an episode sucker. It got so good in episode four. It did not. It did not get so good in episode four. Um, But but frankly, I would much rather read a piece, Noel, from you about your experience watching a bunch of Poirot (laughs) this week than read another review of a of a well-made show that doesn't actually have anything particularly meaningful to say and has some very good performances, but nothing that we're going to it's going to change your life. Mm-hmm. So I don't need more of those TV shows. I would much rather hear about how Poirot was. So, so Noel, what was your experience ah. catching up with Poirot this this week? Should I revisit these, or will I be heartbroken to see they well, have not aged well? Well, first of all, does this count as my make you watch a thong? Since I feel like this was a subliminal thing. Oh that no, induced me. Okay, Th- that, is, that was all you, dude. No, that no, no, no. <laughs> Uh, no, so I really enjoyed this um, a lot, even though a couple of the episodes were, like, real duds. Um, like, The Hollow, I think, was just real slog. Um, and I'm not sure how much of that was, like, source material or just, like, the show itself. But, uh, I, no, I really liked it. Uh, it, was, it was fascinating as someone who had never watched this before and kind of finding the rhythms of the show to a certain degree. Um, even being, like, passingly familiar with... Uh, Christie's particular structure of oh let's get everyone together <laughs> drawing room everyone <laughs> right or a restaurant or mm-hmm. yeah yeah or tea time everyone and now I'm going to reveal how all this went down and also discuss the three red herrings I almost fell for <laughs> <laughs> wait remind me had you read Poirot no like uh no I'd never read a so completely Poirot yeah completely unfamiliar fresh. with the character okay yeah, yeah. So that was that was fun. Also, um, even though like some of the later episodes, I kind of went, I don't know where this sudden interest in Catholicism came from. Show, um, <laughs> but a choice, I suppose, um, since it was really prevalent in the Mur- Murder of the Orient Express episode, which is not good. I was like, it's kind of flat, mm. and I was surprised by that. But a lot of them are really good. Um, Suchet is really watchable, and the episodes in which he's not present for a lot of it mm-hmm. are the least good episodes. <laughs> and but I, I one of the things that i wanted that i wished i had more available streaming wise was i mean this was a show that had run from like 89 to 2013 and i wish some of those like first half of the run were available on netflix because i, I was really interested in seeing sort of a what aesthetic changes were made because there's a def there's like a definite aesthetic shift in the show after around like season nine or 10, I want to say where they, they start getting a little weirder with their camera movement or with how their staging is happening. Um, that there's that episode that was really good. That had, um, Oh, had, uh, the Carchetti and Littlefinger in it. And, um, that was told basically from 
point of views. Okay. Um, really, and but from like first person point of view, so the camera was very much the character, and that was really fascinating to see them do that. But it was also something I feel like they maybe necessarily wouldn't have done prior to this stage in like a production cycle. So I, I, I'm, my library's got a number of them of the older ones. So I'm probably going to check some of those out to see, like jump around a little bit and see how they, see how they stack. But I, I, I still really enjoyed it. And I started another one before we started. I've watched <laughs> like um, 12 or 13, I think in a matter of like five days, uh, which is ridiculous because mm-hmm. they're, they're about, they're a hundred and they're an hour and a half to like an almost two hours long, depending. Okay. So it's just like, I spent a lot of time with this show. Okay. <laughs> But hey, I got to see Emily Blunt in a really deep dye job, and then Michael Fassbender, and then Elliot Gould, and then James Darcy looking like a baby, Kate. A baby. A baby James Darcy. Well, okay, now you've listed a bunch of people. You also, of course, Aiden Gillen, um, mm-hmm. who played Baelish and, yeah. and, uh, and you know, Littlefinger, and um, also was in uh, Queer's Folk. Um, yeah. Favorite guest star turn that you have seen so far? Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I, I think I kind of have to go with Fassbender because he's just, he's really delightfully mean and snarky and then drunk for most of that episode. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really fun to see him just be really loose in that kind of a performance um, before like, well, before it was like 03. Mm-hmm. So it was a little before he started to really take off. Um, anyone else really jump out? I really like Barbara Hershey in the Murder in the Orient Express um, she was like the big highlight for me when I was expecting Chastain to be the big highlight in that mm-hmm. episode. And she gets very little to do mm-hmm. <laughs> on nature of the character she has, but, um, very little to do, but, uh, Barbara Hershey's really good in that episode. Um, so yeah, I think the two of them were the big standouts for me so far. Okay. Uh, yeah. What, and like, this is a show that like we discussed last week, you had very strong feelings. Uh, particularly in regards to Suchet's uh, performance yeah. and uh, versus Albert Finney and even sight unseen Kenneth Branagh, just based on the <laughs> mustaches alone. Um, even though when I was reading Murder on the Orient Express, I couldn't help but picture those massive Kenneth Branagh mustaches in part because he discusses eating soup really delicately. And it, the little mustaches, I can see avoiding the soup really easily, but those big bushy ones, not so much. Yes, but he's so fastidious that even is, with a very manageable, right. pro, you know, like he's very fussy. Oh, he's it's it's wonderful. I love it. Um, and of course, my perspective as an adult is so different because I grew up watching these on Thursday Thursday Night Mystery yeah. on PBS every week. We right. watched, it was like the only day of the week that I was allowed to stay up past eight o'clock. Bring up <laughs> eight o'clock was bedtime, but on Thursday we got to stay up till nine because we were watching PBS Mystery. Um. Yeah, I, I I had just had such a fondness for the character, and I read all the Christie books as mm-hmm. well. Um, and looking back on it now, it's I enjoy how bitchy he is. He's super he's so bitchy. bitchy. He's so he's so bitchy, and, and he gets so angry sometimes, and I love it. <laughs> and I love it. It's so funny. This is one I was watching Miss Fisher. I was like, I I need more bitchiness. I need more snark. Mm-hmm. I need more like rat a tat. And I didn't feel like I was getting that enough. In, in Miss Fisher. I know that's blasphemy to you, sir. Such um, blasphemy. But I haven't, like, sat down and watched an episode of, of Poirot in a really long time. Um, so I can't really speak to it other than my very, like, my fondness 
for the whole world of that uh, growing mm-hmm. up. So I'll have to you know watch them and report back. Important question then. Okay. Um, we I've we now we've established how you feel about Poro. Have you seen any Nero Wolf? Uh years upon years upon years ago. Like that was something I watched when I was little, and mm-hmm. I have very vague memories of it. Okay. So that I don't have like any recollection of apart from liking it i think mm-hmm. i mean that was back when a and e was you know cool it was and good. arts and entertainment yeah right yeah <laughs> no back back when a and e was was worth watching basically <laughs> um yeah so i have very like zero recollection of it and apart from like vague feelings about it may i recommend it for your next mystery binge because i think it is wonderful um well, I, personally I'm trying to decide what I'm going to watch. If it's going to be like *Midsummer's Murder* or um, *Grantchester*, I'm leaning mm-hmm. towards is like that's the hot priest show, right? And yeah, solve mysteries. Yeah, hot vicar. Yeah, no friend yeah. of the show, Caroline C. will be very excited. Right, if you dive yeah. in with yeah. that one. So, yep. maybe I'll New do season. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe I'll do that one. Maybe. Okay. We'll see. That that one's a, those two are at least available streaming. I don't know where where could I watch *Near a Wolf*. You've got a library. Yeah. Okay. I feel like interlibrary loan. They should. That's the kind of show that we have DVD libraries like at the public library for. <laughs> you know, like that's the exact kind of show that they always have at the library. At least my library is by me, which is the you know right. Chicago and suburbs. Anyways, yeah. um, any other thoughts on uh, your your our topic here? Our our peak TV is there a show that that you have not caught up with yet that you feel bad about or do you just not even bother with that no like i mean like right now i'm kind of caught up on everything that i want that's like currently airing mm-hmm. um so i'm feeling okay that i want to be caught up on anyway like i i have like yesterday's hollywood game night on my mm-hmm. dvr but i mean it's hollywood game night i can watch that whenever i feel like it <laughs> See, and I feel good to, i had to watch it so that i could listen to show and yell um, okay. It's very important. Very important to me. Uh, Superstore team does a good job. They're aces. Episode, mediocre. But I like the new yeah. game. I'll have to see what, you have to see what you think. Okay. okay. Um, I'm behind still on Master of None and on uh, parts of Dear White People. I've seen like the second mm-hmm. half of the season, but not the first half. Um, and those ones I do intend to get to, but I don't I don't feel bad about not watching. I, like, I got over feeling bad about being behind like last year. Because yeah. there's just so much that you can't possibly watch it all. And usually, if you haven't prioritized something, there's probably a reason. Yeah. So, you know, I'll see what I can get to. Listeners, let us know what you think we should have watched by now. Please and, tell us. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we have done a lot of preamble here. We should get into actually talking about the things we watched this week that aren't Poirot. I don't know. I feel like we could just keep discussing this and <laughs> worry about everything else later. Yes, but then, but we need to tell the people, Noel, we need to tell the people about Danger and Eggs, and that can't happen <laughs> until we go to our Week in Comedy and Reality. So we'll take a quick break here, listen to some music, and come back with our Week in Comedy and Reality.
This week in comedy and reality, we're going to talk to you a bit about season one of Danger and Eggs, which is a kids show, an animated series on uh, Amazon Prime. Then we'll talk Glow season one, I guess rightfully placed into comedy this week. We'll talk about that. It's not not really comedy. Anyways, um, then we'll talk Playing House season three, the entirety, which is definitely a comedy. Uh, Younger getting Higa, right, with it. I think that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, go to the Carmichael Show, Morris, and we'll round out the segment with the Great British Baking Show, Batter. Um, but first up is Danger and Eggs. Now, I got to see the first two episodes of this, okay. which is like four parts, but yep. two episodes. Um, they are absolutely delightful. You've seen the entire first season? Yes, I have. I watched uh, it in between Peru episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that would like work surprisingly well. It so did. <laughs> well, tell the listeners, because I had not heard of this. I didn't know okay. that this was a thing. Tell the listeners, Noel, what is Danger in Eggs? It's kind of hard to explain. No. Um, <laughs> that's in the theme music. That's in the theme theme song. No. So Danger in Eggs deals with the daughter of, well, apparently like the last in a line, long, long line of stunt people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Dee Dee Danger. And then you have Philip who is an egg, who lives in his mother, who's a giant chicken. Hmm. Um, Philip, is, as an egg would be, is obsessed with safety. He wears a bicycle helmet um, right on the top of his head, even though it's quite small. He's got uh, sort of like a, a Venture Brothers speed suit, uh, which is just delightful. But he also has knee and shoulder pads, mm-hmm. and uh, because safety is very important. And they play in this chicken par- park. And that's what they do. Every episode, they have adventures each day in this park. And all the adventures are really delightful. And it's a wonderful little show if you have kids between the ages of 9 and, like, 12, I would say. Mm-hmm. Or, like, 7 and seven and 12. Somewhere within that range. I'm not good at gauging kid maturity sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, 7 to 12, 9 to 12, you're probably okay. But also, this is a show that does sort of a Mad Max Fury Road riff in a later <laughs> episode. To which I kind of went, wait, that that was a war boy that mm-hmm. that character looked like. And this is all really weird, but I'm into it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, they have like various adventures um, ranging from why you shouldn't go and t- into things that are fenced off in the grass mm-hmm. to exploring abandoned satellites to experiencing an entire episode that is a gay pride day. Mm-hmm. And discussing the concept of chosen families. And the big reason why I ended up, like, seeing seeking this out was I was checking Metacritic's, like, premiere things. And I went, what the hell is Danger and Eggs? I don't remember seeing any discussion of this, so I watched it. And I was just like, oh, this is really cool. And then I got to The Trio, which is a really good episode. Did you get to that one? No, was... just the first two. Okay. I think that's episode, right. like, five. Yeah, I want to say it's, like, three or four. Yeah, it's five. Anyway, so there's a character in it voiced by Tyler Ford. And Tyler Ford, I want to say? I may, I think so. And character's name is Milo. Milo's leaving to go back to New York with his family, even though Milo has been, sorry, not his family, their family. Mm-hmm. As the episode just very quickly refers to Milo in they and them's mm-hmm. pronouns. Doesn't, doesn't explain why. Doesn't, like... Just kind of goes, here you go. This is it. And it's not explained in any way, shape, or form. And the episode just keeps rolling and the pronouns keep getting used. And there's no 
Milo doesn't state what their pronouns are. The characters just know and refer to Milo as such. And there you go. I, this is a show that's just wonderfully progressive um, in terms of its representation. Again, like the finale takes place at a Pride Day. Um, and it's cre- co-created by a uh, openly trans woman, um, uh, Shady Potofsky. Potosky. I may be pronouncing Shady incorrectly, so I apologize. Um, and so it's just a recurrent thing. Like, you, you did get to see Renfair. So, yeah. like, we can discuss Renfair. And, like, Renfair is just a mousse-bouche <laughs> of what they're doing in this show. Yeah. Well, and, and even before you get to Milo in episode five, you, you have, all like, all through this is the these first two episodes, these four adventures that I've seen so far, is the the theme and the thread of not having to know everything about who you are immediately and the idea that i I think there's even like a direct line that identity is a journey um and because because in one of the early adventures um philip the egg um discovers he likes broccoli and uh then that means he's an adult right But, but he doesn't have a job how could he be an adult if he doesn't have a job and a house and and all of these things? Um, God, and he his has perfect to... house is so good. Oh, it is. It's wonderful. Oh. It's wonderful, anyway, listeners. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so this idea of is he a, a kid or is he a grown up, and you have to be one or the other, or else the the limboids will come and get you. Um, yeah. And and in uh, in the the episode comes down firmly on just be you. Figure out what that means. And don't worry about it so much. And that kind of discussion early and 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 repetitively through the, the series, even just in these first four episodes, um, was really neat to see. And it's, again, it's that same thing. It made me think of what I thought when I first caught Adventure Time. And, and immediately what it prompted in me was, I'm so glad that kids are going to see this, that kids do see this and they love the show. It's a huge success with, with the next generation. That means we're ha- going to have an, a really creative, amazing, positively supported next generation. Let's get more programming like this out there. And um, so, yeah, I really liked what I saw. And Renfair is basically an adventure with <laughs> with Dee Dee and, and Philip breaking down gender expectations uh, and tr- the notion of tradition as correct just because it's tradition. Um for the entire thing. <laughs> it's all yeah. it's like the main thread of everything that happens. Um, and it's, and it's wonderful. And there's such a love and acceptance for the character who likes tradition because that suits him. Uh, it's like, okay, that's great. You like tradition. You do that, but don't expect everybody else to do that too. Cause that doesn't work for us. We're not saying you can't do that, but we don't want to play that game because that game's boring. So we're going to play the game we want to play. Like, again, it's these these really, I think, important ideas and concepts, especially for kids, but for anyone, mm-hmm. wrapped in a really delightful package of, you know, Dee Dee and Philip are, are uh, interestingly drawn. It's The colors are very bright. <laughs> Dee Dee <laughs> Sarah is very bright blue. Uh, it's a, like a kind of a neon sky blue, um, yeah. like a neon emerald green eyes, that kind of thing. Um, but but very interesting and fun and aware characters, which is not necessarily 
what you expect um, on a kid's show. They're both aware and then also very, they feel like kids. As someone yeah. who works with kids, <laughs> I can think of a couple of my students who when they're talking, when Dee Dee's talking about the obstacle course that she wants to create in the park, I'm like, yes, I can think of a couple of my kids who would absolutely be doing that. <laughs> Thank goodness Dee Dee has a Philip with her. <laughs> <laughs> No, you're absolutely correct, and it's very much a running thread throughout this throughout the thirteen episodes. But like twenty two part twenty two parts because each episode is divided into those eleven minute chunks that are really popular with kids programming right now, and it's just it's very consistently executed, and it's very funny character. Like Philip has various like little catchphrases that speak to a sort sort of um, like early kids programming, but it never feels like a crutch because each of the little catchphrases are all really funny. So he deems himself like the interim manager of safety or park assistants or lost and found mm -hmm. at various as appropriate to the episode. Or the other thing that he does is blank is nature's blank. Mm -hmm. And it's just that's a runner throughout the entire series. My favorite is cracks, nature's silent screams. Just, <laughs> it's really funny. And so there's a lot of those like throughout the throughout the series. But it's also just like you were saying, it's just really warm and inclusive in a way without feeling saccharine or very special episode or after school specially about it. Mm -hmm. It's just very matter of fact in its presentation of all of these concepts. And I really, really like that. And it was, it was one of the reasons why I kept going back to it. And the other reason was, it was just like the voice cast is really, really good mm -hmm. for like their voice for their guest voice actors. Like, uh, uh Stephanie Beatriz, uh, who plays Rosa over on Brooklyn nine, nine comes on and, plays um the head of harm which is this weird government agency and she's got this weird southern drawl that i if i amazon's little little info on the screen thing didn't kick in when i moved the mouse mm -hmm. i would have never known it was her but so they've got a really nice cast of folks and then they get kind of weirdly meta sometimes uh within the episode dog park is a very meta episode um, which is weird to have really early, but it's really delightful all the same. Uh, so no, I, I, I just really, really loved this show and it mm -hmm. was a lot of fun to watch it. And it's so smart and warm and I like smart and warm a whole lot. Yeah. I like having a show like this that I can feel confident recommending mm -hmm. to, to people. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and you mentioned the Mad Max stuff. There, there's plenty of stuff in there for the parents yeah. watching too. The, the 25 year old, <laughs> The, or the, they spell like 30, 32, 33-year-old who's stuck inside the water park for 25 years, but he thinks it's been a week. Yeah. That's not in there for the kids. <laughs> so yeah, no. That's in there for the adults. Um, and, and so I think they balance that nicely, and, and they you will be engaged even if you are not a 12-year-old. But if you are, you will hopefully also as well. So I, I hope to see some cosplay at Comic-Con. Oh, God, I still want to go as Philip. Yeah. And, yeah. Because yeah. I love Philip. Philip's my soul. Philip's my soul egg. Yeah. Well, speaking of cosplay, I think we could also see some pretty sweet glow cosplay at Comic Con if people were so inclined. It might not be the right exact audience, but I feel like people could certainly rock it. Let's 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 pivot over to Glow. Um, I finished out season one um, on Saturday. I think it was maybe Sunday last week because I I had to choose, so I went with Playing House first. And then I went sure. to Glow. I feel like that okay. was the right choice. Yeah. Um, and I ended up really liking it. Um, I have seen some uh, frustrations 
with the show's depictions uh, or the show's rather limited take on feminism. Um, But I think that I think those I think those complaints are entirely justified. Um, I hope, like you had said, I hope to see more exploration of some of these other relationships in the next season. And you were not kidding. We definitely need some addressing of some of the racial elements next season in a big way, hopefully. But I thought it was really solid. Um, I, I thought that the, um, like you said, Alison Brie is all in. Super oh, committed. She's, she's so committed. Yeah. It's scary how committed she is. <laughs> and also, like you, uh, I kept waiting for that Marin breakthrough moment, and I just it didn't ha- it didn't happen. Yes. Um, yes. I mean, he's fine. Oh. He's, yeah. he's yeah. good. Yeah. But it is very much just more of a good casting than a um, particularly... Uh, transcendent performance from him right. i yeah. think it's just he he's well suited to it and he's kind of doing his thing um yeah now did you have particular elements of the season now that i've seen it <laughs> right things that elements you wanted to discuss well i think the racial stuff is like the one big thing that really stood out to me in part in part because a not addressing it is within the confines of their time period perfectly appropriate because mm. there's some really horrible racist shit in wrestling yeah. even today but especially in the 80s um but and the way that the show sort of like acknowledges it but then keeps like backing away from it it was really frustrating because like the woman whose character is the welfare queen is a like played really well by that actor is like she she does a really nice job and i think the writing for it uh hits just enough of a satirical sort of point but can we not ass satire as well which is one of the larger problems and so like their contention that we're satirizing the these Republican cocksucker sort of to borrow Marin's character's words about what they think is like all fine and good, except for the fact that you, you stage her as the heel. Mm -hmm. So no, you don't really get to make that argument when she's the heel. That argument only Uh, works when she's beating up the KKK, which was right. Wonderful. Oh, oh, it was so good. And what I loved the joke that this isn't even appropriate for cable. <laughs> when they go in for the the meeting and the note is like yeah. we only really have one note um the kkk we're not sure that we want to air that in our children's entertainment line right <laughs> right which is the other weird thing about this is that it's being slotted in in like a children's cable lineup yeah. but again also very fitting for the 80s yeah, yeah yeah um so that was like the big thing that kind of stood out to me but also there's the character who gets stuck playing the Mideastern jihadist sort of mm-hmm. uh, character that the show does, like, nothing with until, like, the last episode and then just goes, oh, right, this would be a problem, wouldn't it? And then <laughs> it's just like, oh, no time. we got to resolve the white lady friendship thing real quick. Mm-hmm. Hang on one second. Next season, if we get one, we'll come back to that. Yeah. And is kind of how it felt. So, like, they need to do more, like, going forward with that kind of a thing because as soon as Chris Lowell's character just started going, stereotypes, yes. We need to get into those. I just went, oh, uh oh. <laughs> let's let's see how this let's see how this tightrope works. Yeah, and for the most part, I think it's okay, but it's not good by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell me about the feminism critiques? Because again, like I feel like some of this is just too grounded in the eighties to apply certain things to. Um, but I also didn't read any of those. Well, just this idea that it's a show about two mostly about two white ladies 
right. fighting over a guy. Like mm-hmm. the main or the main tension is that the one slept with the other's yeah. husband. And that's that's what defines them entirely. Okay. Like by the end we but we get to the end and we've we've done spent all this time with Alison Bree and we still have no sense of why she slept with uh, Rich Summer twice. And Twice, yeah. what she was like before and what led that to that choice. Like, I, you know, I was really enjoying the show and the, the, the flow of everything. And I had a lot of fun watching it. And then I was just sitting there thinking, like, wait a second. What do I actually know about these characters at the end? What can I feel like I confidently can say about who they are and my understanding of them? And I was like, oh, nothing. I know yeah, nothing about much, yeah. them. And that yeah. shouldn't happen after I've watched an entire season of a show that yeah. theoretically has a lot of character work. Yeah, and I think that's I think that is a fair critique because like Bree's character is definitely still a complete cipher. Mm-hmm. Like her, the degree to which she feels empowered by any of this is really kind of vague and amorphous, and that she's thrown herself into it is really neat. But this is also a woman who read for the male part in the opening of the first episode to make a point. Yeah. And then that just kind of goes away as she deeply commits to being the Russian heel, which is, again, delightful and very funny, Mm -hmm. but veers into a weird sort of territory. And even like Gilpin's arc of not wanting to be a housewife Mm -hmm. or not wanting to always be the washed up soap star um, uh, was one of those things where I just kind of went, okay, I see that. I don't. It wasn't really there, but I see what you wanted to be there. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. So, yeah, all of that I think is really, really accurate. It's just, it's very fun, and there's a just some really interesting things that happen, but it doesn't really coalesce into anything huge. I think. Yeah. Well, and and as someone who watched a not insignificant, but not not like anything I felt like I call myself a wrestling fan. But who, who like was uh, in the room with a lot of wrestling in in, in middle school and high school? Um, I feel like it really captures the fun of it and the yeah. the, the joy of it and and what makes uh, like why people watch wrestling. When Gail Pink goes, "That's oh, a soap opera," I'm like, "Right, yep." <laughs> I, I remember making the the pitch to to my brothers and to people um, in middle school and high school that for Buffy, saying, "Okay." This is a soap opera that just like wrestling. It's the same as wrestling, only, you know, there's vampires that turn into dust and there's more quips. But like, they're both well, soap operas. There's better quips. Yeah. Well, it's like <laughs> there's they're both soap operas and they, they and they, and they both have fight scenes that are awesome. Um, and so these are all the same thing. And you should have more respect for this as a genre. And people should not be bashing on wrestling because it is the exact same idea. As something yeah. like Buffy, it just has different special effects. Um, so, so that you, you see, watching her journey with that, I thought was pretty fun, and, and the the respect that she has for the medium of soap right. not not like just being like, oh, that's the job I could get, and I'm sort of embarrassed about being a soap star. Um, I, I I appreciated that aspect yeah. of that character. Yeah, no, and it was really good because, like, 80s were, like, so payday in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And so that was, like, pretty prestigious to, like, for, like, a certain caliber of actor to be, like, and be really recognizable as yeah. well. So, like, having that, but then her realization of that and seeing it as a way to be serious and a way to find her way into 
both the setting of Glow, but also like into her character as well, was I I I really appreciated that, and mm-hmm. that the show made sure to draw those connections. Yeah, yeah. Any other thoughts on the season or uh, character you enjoyed? Um, like I I I I I did really enjoy the the two old time biddies because they were <laughs> they were really reliable background bit players, and we know nothing about them at all, like nothing. Yeah. But they're so reliable <laughs> that you can do that KKK sequence. Yeah. And it worked because, A, both of the um, black women have been really, have been fairly well established, especially um, Cherry. The stunt woman. The stunt woman, yeah. Have both been fairly well established so that when they do this and the two other women are just like, are you sure this is okay? That's what they said to do. And it's just like, oh, this is great. um so but like their willingness to do that kind of stuff as just like as characters i really appreciate it so i really enjoyed the two of them um yeah yeah Yeah. i I, feel like you should give a shout out to the drug robot oh gosh the drug robot was really really good (laughs) (laughs) oh that drug robot oh silly drug robot drug robot and male robot can can go be friends um, (laughs) and just go off on wacky adventures together um well okay let's move over then i guess to playing house season three which uh was delightful and i gobbled up and i could have you know spaced it out still and yeah but i just sat and watched the rest of it last last friday night after we finished recording and it was delightful um i don't have much to say about the season because i think people still might not have seen it all yeah um so i'm gonna let you dance around spoilers oh while fine. you tell us what you know you had to do that last week but but we yeah. can talk we can talk more specifically about the rest of the season i think yeah well i for me like they're i i still think it's really good i think it's their weakest season um in terms of just sort of a laugh ratio type of thing i didn't laugh as much as i wanted was expecting to laugh Mm-hmm. Um, even if I think like their high point is the pot baklava episode, <laughs> I think it's probably the solidest of their episodes. Um, and just for the part of, uh, what happens to between bird bones and Zach Woods, Zach Woods's character. Um, it's just, I never knew how much I wanted that to happen until it actually happened. And then I was just like, yes, I needed that in my life. And I did not know that until just now. <laughs> um, but dramatically i think that there's a section of the show that just fell falls really flat for me okay um in part because i just don't think it's given enough to do and enough like space to breathe and ended up with like really annoying questions which you don't want Mm -hmm. but it was basically boiled down to i'd really like to know how everyone paid for this ah yeah okay and that is a question that you don't ask playing house because once you poke at their assumed affluence the entire thing collapses yeah and so but it was kind of like i i I don't understand how they paid for any of this Mm -hmm. when they don't have anything that would pay for any of this yeah and there's no discussion of that there's no discussion of the ramifications of what happens really it's like paid a little bit Mm-hmm. And then it's sort of acknowledged in the finale, but I don't really, I'm really unsettled with a lot of the stuff that happens in the finale around the drag community in that episode. Okay, I think um, that's something we can definitely talk about. Yeah, um, it was just, it was very weird to me. It was very weird. And as, as a 
RuPaul fan, of course, I was very excited when Bob the Drag Queen and Katya and right. and who was, it was another another one of the alumni. Right. Yeah, and I can't up. remember who it is, but yeah, another one pops up. Yeah, and I was like, is that, that is Bob the Drag Queen in their cab or whatever. Huh, okay. And it's like, oh, that's cool, because I've seen him pop up in a couple other things out of drag. And then when they just fully embraced it, I was like, cool. I mean, this is a bit weird. I like this better than the uh, Kenny Loggins stuff from last season. I think it works way better than that. Um, I liked having uh, Emma and Maggie together and the 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 guys together for yeah. the episode. I thought that and <laughs> it's semen, Simon, 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 um, Diedrich Bader, uh, hilarious in that as the chef. Um, so yeah, I thought I I think I liked that better than you did. But I and I guess it, for me it was easier to wave away potential expenses. With the idea that Maggie, no, not Maggie, Emma, had been an international businesswoman for like 15 years on a high paid, high power right. corporate job, that theoretically she should have somewhat of a safety net that she can sure. draw on. Right. Um, and I, I guess that makes sense, but the show never discusses that in any way, shape, no. or form. No, they and don't. Given, like, I mean, they produced this when they produced this and shot this and but coming out now in the current political climate in which like health insurance is a major thing yeah not addressing that in this particular like setting is like really weird and not particular is it's just it's just really weird and it feels tone deaf which isn't their it's their fault to a certain extent but i mean they also couldn't know that this was something that would be in the landscape when these episodes aired either yeah no that's true especially with i mean maggie's a nurse so right You'd think some of this other stuff would come up. Um, I did think the way we pivoted to this storyline that we're dancing around worked yeah. really, really well. Yes. And is very effective. Um, I will say that new love interest guy made no impact on me. And that yeah. was really unfortunate. Yeah. It's an okay performance from that guy whose name I do not know. <laughs> but yeah, he makes very little impact on a lot of like this stuff is sort of just type of thing and i feel like just as sort of a friendly antagonist would have been better than kind of weird love kooky love interest sort of character um and but i was also upset that he just never met bocephus yeah well we gotta save something for the next season you know yeah yeah yeah, sure but especially when Justice St. Clair and Keegan Michael Key are so dynamic together they're they're a terrific romantic uh comedy pairing um they have like just insane chemistry that like, yeah, there's chemistry there with, with, um, with Lennon Parham and the actor who we can't remember. Um, but the <laughs> fact that we can't remember his name is not a good sign. Uh, and didn't feel the pull to look it up, you know? Um, yeah, they're fine. It's not bad. It's fine. But usually the show does much better than fine. Um, any other elements to the season that you wanted to mention? Hmm. No, not really. I was sort of glad that um, the mom was sort of more background-ish um, this season as that character just never really kind of clicks for me. Oh, see, I love Jane Kaczmarek in the, this well, season. I lo- I thought she was terrific. And the, yeah. the, the, the use, like you said, there was I think it was the right amount of her. Yeah, it's the right amount. Um, but it was like a, I think a less amount than we've gotten in like the past. Yeah. Um, which is what I was happy about. Um, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think that was about it. Um, mainly because like we danced around like my two other problems. So yeah, yeah I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Well, yeah. and nice to see all the cops back. I always appreciate when we have the returning <laughs> oh, presences. But that that does remind me of like one of the cops is the creepy guy from Crazy Ex Girlfriend, <laughs> Trent. Yep. And it's it was so weird because it's just like no, everyone run away, run away. It's, it's Trent. Trent. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, it's true. There is that. There is that context now, I suppose. Um, it was still, I, the, I, I, yeah, I, I hope we get more of that kind of world building or just call callbacks to the world building they've already done next season. I want to see those lawn gnomes again. I'm just saying. Yeah. The season one lawn gnomes, I would like to see that guy again. <sighs> okay, let's move on to our next episode. That's younger, getting getting higget with it something like that um how are you feeling about uh where things go this episode like do you feel like they're playing the liza and peter herman stuff too hard i'm starting to worry about that how are you feeling about the stuff with like with with knowing what a meme is versus not how did this how does this go for you okay so the meme stuff i thought was kind of just weird Mm-hmm. Um, insofar as it's just like the definition, sh- the like kind of official looked up definition is correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then like having, um, um, hang on. I, I want to get the character's name correct. Um, <laughs> Kelsey's like dismissal of that definition. I was just like, no, she's correct, Kelsey. <laughs> yeah, but Kelsey's um, just mad at her. So she's saying right. she's not. Yeah. But yeah, um, you're right. Yeah, so, but it was also just sort of like, both of them, I feel like both of um, Peter Herman's character, Charles, as well as, is it Diana? Mm-hmm. Both of them should at least be vaguely aware of what one is by now, yeah. if they work in publishing. <laughs> um, so that, I, I felt like that was a little bit of a stretch for me. Um, as someone who basically is just coming to the show now, um, I, I do, they are like hitting the Charles and Liza thing really thick, mm-hmm. I feel like. And I'm all for it, in part because I have nothing else to compare it to. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also one of those things where I, I wonder like how, how, and you can tell me, is how much like this sort of stuff has been building up in that, not necessarily with uh, Liza and Charles, but with like, Liza and Diana and being like really trusted and this kind of a thing and like the whole weight of this about to like starting to crush or if this is like a new thing now that more people are in the know. Um, this the stuff with Diana really trusting Liza um, is something you would have to read between the lines. But when you know when Matthew Zickel says it, you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, we that's something they've certainly established, and it, you know, you know they, that felt appropriate. The stuff mm-hmm. with with Charles, I, my only concern with it because you know I ship it um, is uh, that it doesn't feel like the kind of thing they can sustain. Yeah, and so. It's like if you're gonna go, you need to go with this storyline, with this plot, and that point. And I don't think they will. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's something that they can possibly re- believably sustain once they're in a relationship. Not yes. if, but when. You know. Um. So so it's you know like if you're not gonna go, if you're not gonna get them together. I need them to kind of pump the brakes a little bit with it, mm-hmm. uh, which is something they've been pretty successful at doing. And the other thing is that, yes, they've been there's been clearly a dynamic here and a chemistry between them 
all series long. Um, but think about the context, right? It's yeah. completely inappropriate. A hundred percent. Like the, if you're not careful, you're going to make Charles not a good guy anymore. And the whole point of this guy is that he is a good guy. Come on. It's like, is that a normal thing for you and all your young 20 something friends to date 40 year olds? Like that's inappropriate. And, and they're not, I don't think they're aware enough of how inappropriate that is. Cause they're just assuming we're going to go with them. And what do yeah. you think? Do you think they're playing on that really not being an okay line for him to go to, even though they've already kissed? I, I feel like it's supposed to be an okay line for, and that's what the show wants yeah. us to see it as. Um, I mean, the way, the place that it's, because it's delivered when she's helping him with his back, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that, that alone is sort of like a weird situation anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Like HR wise, it's not like the best situation. Mm -hmm. And so I I feel like that's a, that contextually they're sort of wanting it to be okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I agree with you in that it's just not okay it's a very weird thing to ask yeah even if later on the man can clearly rock a sweater mm-hmm. at a <laughs> at a danish lifestyles party of comfort the yeah. man can clearly wear a sweater um <laughs> and he was really the only one who was tapping into it really well in yeah. that whole thing like mm-hmm. everyone else just kind of looked a little too elegant mm-hmm. um but he was getting into it um, which I think made up for it in my mind for everything. Else. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So no, it's not, it's not the best line in by any stretch of the imagination, but I think that because they're, they're skating by, like you said, on the chemistry of both of these characters mm-hmm. to make it okay. Yeah. What do you think about the, um, the, I think they're setting up some potential shipping for, uh, Kelsey Josh shippers out there what did you how did you feel like they handled that was that did that work or was it try hard or did it 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 felt kind of try hard Mm -hmm. um to me but this is also someone who's just coming into the show Mm -hmm. and so grains of salt scattered everywhere um but yeah just it felt kind of vaguely try hard to me Mm -hmm. um especially in so far considering like it makes sense only in so far as it's a weird post Liza rebound sort of situation. Yeah. But nothing in a permanent, this is a healthy sort of thing that we need to do mm-hmm. kind of thing. And that's, I think where I kind of went with it is just like, if you guys are just going to do it because you're both mad at Liza, just do it. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. But let's not pretend that this feels like it could be anything more than that to me anyway. Yeah. Um, but again, this is someone who has no connection to either of these characters as characters that have interacted over the course of three previous seasons. And mm-hmm. I have no idea of the context for their interactions prior to basically these two episodes. <laughs> I, I will say I loved the doppelbanger thing. That was delightful because, yes, thank you, writers. Thank <laughs> you for tapping in to the uh, trend in their casting. Um, I think that was a, a neat Thing, so that in case they want to have a reason to point her towards Josh. Um, and I guess to close things out, any thoughts on Maggie and her total fail <laughs> at reading that? Uh, I, I feel like that is on the barista. 
I don't know who that's on. Um, but it was also sort of my least favorite part of the episode in part because I could just see what was coming like yeah. a mile away. And yeah. I was just like, there's there's nothing interesting going to happen, at least within the confines of this episode. Mm-hmm. And so it's the thing I care least interest, uh, care least about. Yeah. So I was just like, I guess we'll see where this goes. And as she builds up to her show that she has. But I was just like, within the context of this episode, I was just like, oh, I know where this is going. <laughs> but luckily, luckily, you've got Debbie Mazur who can play off misreading signals really nicely yeah. without coming off like a creep. Yeah. Well, and Maggie has a, a long history on the show of of many, many uh, young uh, romantic partners, shall we say, okay. over different parts of the show. Because, again, her longest love interest on the show is the redhead who is now mm-hmm. with the doctor. So, like, you know, she's it, it was like, oh, I see where this is going. But the producer's acting a little weird. Uh-oh. Is this a Colin situation? I, it did note that, of course, she's immediately looking for a job. And yeah. this is the same episode they bring Colin back. I wonder if that is a coincidence. But we will see. Because nobody's allowed to mess with Maggie. Because I'm very protective of people <laughs> with that name. Um, any final thoughts? Or is it time for the Carmichael Show? It's time for the Carmichael Show. Uh, what did you think about uh, Morris? Which is a comparatively, like... Not particularly super high on like the laugh ratio, Ooh. but a little, little higher on like a dramatic ratio. I think, apart from like the stuff about crushing health issues from secret keeping. <laughs> yeah, no, no, definitely dramatic, and uh, it was just like an intense play. Yeah, and I, I loved it. I love the stuff that they gave David Allen Greer and especially Loretta Loretta Devine to do. Um, right, that's her name. Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I thought they nailed it. And you could, I mean, because again, the Carmichael show was filmed in front of a live studio audience and you could like, nobody was breathing in those sequences. And I kept waiting for them to cut the tension with a joke and they didn't. And I love that they didn't. Uh, For me, it really, really worked. What did you think? No, I really liked it as well, especially the more dramatic stuff. Um, As soon as they're like, he's come back from uh, the apartment uh, to the house and, she's unpacking groceries and everything and i was just like yep i'm really into this and like you said like the studio audience makes such a huge difference uh because these are people with these are actors who have a live studio audience to feed off of and to lead around basically which Mm -hmm. is like one of the best benefits of a live studio audience is that you get to like you get that energy to play off of and it's go ahead well especially with Two actors who know how to work a live studio audience. Exactly. Like, these are two people with tons of theater experience between them. Mm-hmm. Um, especially Loretta Devine. Um, yeah. And sitcom experience, too. Right. And sitcom experience as well. So, I mean, like, these are two people who know how to work an audience. And it just comes out in, the, in that kitchen scene. Just, like, really, really comes out. Mm-hmm. And I, it's basically, like, the centerpiece of the episode for me. And it's the reason why to watch... Morris, aside from all the jabs at um, hibachi places, which are terrible, and <laughs> Maxine's responses to hibachi is so correct. And if I wanted to clap every time someone did something, I'd have a kid. And it's just delightful. Um, and so it's so cynical uh, from Maxine, but it's so lovely. Um, but I, I got sidetracked because I really hate hibachi. And um, so, yeah, no, like the dramatic stuff is really good. And I mean, one of the things that we've talked about with uh, the Carmichael show is that they can do these sort of like very one-off topical issues 
uh, episodes and then never discuss Morris ever again. And it doesn't matter because what they're dealing with throughout the confines of the episode are what matter. And mm-hmm. I, I, I really appreciate that. And yeah, it, it was a very, it was a very good dramatic episode, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And as you're watching, there's two ways they can go. They can do what they did, or they can have her have known about Morris this whole time. And right. It's a comedic beat. And I kept yeah. waiting for them to do that, and I'm yes, so glad I did again that they went this way instead. Right? No, because there's like a there's a good sort of like I've been waiting for you to tell me this for years. Here's your sandwich, and then yeah. just like him feeling terrible about not telling her for years in a funny way, as opposed to him sleeping on the couch, waking up and going, "I thought you were going to kill me." Good. I wanted you to think that, and it'd be <laughs> a laugh line, but it'd also be kind of a "This is how mad I still am with you" line. Yeah. 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 And I, I, again, like their impulses for this kind of stuff are generally and more often than not really spot on. So, yeah. And knowing that the show is not coming back for season four, you know, I'm even more glad that we got to see this kind of mm-hmm. episode and that we got to see these two actors really play yeah. it. So, normally the dramatic stuff does not go <laughs> to at least the two of them together. Of course, there was the yes. episode about um, David Ellen Graves' character's his abusive father. Yes. The funeral episode last season, which was ter- terrific, it had some really great dramatic beats. But I mean, especially Loretta Devine just just crushes it, and then and and Greer is such a great partner in those scenes yes. too. It's just yes. they, they play it really really well. Um, okay, well that was somewhat down end to our week in <laughs> comedy, but let's go over to our week in reality and talk batter. And uh, okay, how much watching this were you like? I need a churro and pancakes. And also Yorkshire pudding. Like, wait, like this was one of the most, like, yes, I need that kind of episodes for me. Yes, it was very much all three of those. I need those. Even if the technical challenge with the lace pancakes made me go, but this is a complete waste of pancake batter. You could have a perfectly <laughs> good-sized pancake, and it'd be delicious. Mm-hmm. Why are you doing this to them, Paul Hollywood? Why are you doing this to me? Um... <laughs> But at least it's not like lace waffles. Um, So, you know, uh, that's not a thing, though. Um, (laughs) But uh, it's a good episode, but I'm really starting to feel like what you told me when the season started is, like, there's nothing really impressive about anyone. And it's really kind of frustrating to watch this play out and just go, I mean, yeah, it's, it's fine. It's competent. I mean, yeah, your churro flowers in a in a window window boxes. It's very cute, and it's by far the most creative thing anyone really did here. Yeah. Um, which tip of the hat to you for doing something creative when everyone else has been kind of just like, I'm going to put them on a plate. It's well, like, like churros <laughs> should be a signature challenge. That's not yes. a showstopper unless you're the, building something with it. Right. That was like my other thing that I was like building up to is just like, but this is also on the show is like. Doing churros as like your your showcase is just like your showstopper, I should say. It's just like, what do you do with those? I mean, what do you do with those? Make some, yeah. make, have them make a donut tree, you know? Yeah, like yeah. layer some... a tiered donut, can, like the way you'd make a shoe pastry, but with yeah. donuts, and they have to have different flavors. Like I can yeah. think off the top of my head of ways they could have done like fried, and I guess the issue is batter yeah. rather than and dough, dough. Donuts, it would be yeah. dough, yeah. but like still. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's just like there's not like too many avenues, and when you have to also 
when their whole thing was with the technical, sorry, not with the technical, but with the, when your showstopper's thing is that we wanted consistency, it's just like, oh, no, that is not the correct evaluation (laughs) (laughs) for the showstopper is not consistency. Mm. That's for the other two things that you guys do. This is for creativity and interest. So when you're knocking someone for their churros being piped into the fryer like they're supposed to be yeah and going oh well we didn't really want you to do that because then they come out kind of weird and not the right length it's just like but but uh, but that's how you make churros that's how you make churros you assholes (laughs) um so yeah i'm just not really feeling the season so i I like the idea of them doing batter i thought that was Mm -hmm. really fun i really liked all the different sort of tastes of the yorkshire puddings like it's just like tofu and a yorkshire pudding yes please and thank you sir i will have two of those <laughs> um because I, I really like tofu and paul's reaction to tofu is just delightful um so yeah yeah I, I liked all the concepts but i never felt like the episode executed any of this um but how did you feel about it and like was there anything that stood out to you particularly good or bad in this one well, first of all, like we make Yorkshire pudding every Christmas, um, okay. but we have popover tins, oh, like well, the, the super tall ones, right. right? And then it also pops up huge on top of that. But I was just trying to think, imagine making Yorkshire pudding in a regular muffin tin and still uh-huh. having it like, I feel like that would just be a, a complete mess, which it was for some of them. Right. Like, is that not normal to use the popover like the tall what? muffin cups. I am delightful. I'm delighted. I should say that you're asking me who has never baked anything in his <laughs> life. that didn't come out of a box. Um, so I'll just pretend that was rhetorical and go, no, Kate, that is not the way that people do that. I, just, I don't know. <laughs> um, I really, I mean, when we make popovers, when we make Yorkshire pudding, we don't fill them, you know? Yeah. But, uh, so, so that was an interesting thing for me. Uh, I thought that the signature, the, sorry, the technical was, was neat, but again, like not as tricky as I expect. And it so much yeah. it just came down to execution and how yeah. it looked versus like, it's a pancake. I also like the idea that as they are bakers, that like pancakes, you get the sense that for many of them is kind of beneath them. So they haven't made pancakes in a while because they've been getting ready for bake off. And right. that's not like, you know, that's like make pancakes for your kids in the morning kind of thing. It's not like a serious baker thing. So I like that element of it. But I also, also I was like, okay, I feel like you could. Yes, consistency is really hard for that. Yes. I get it. And 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 the high temperature and the speed and the accuracy you need the 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 surety of hand that you need for that fair enough. But like I just kept waiting for there to be more to it. Um which there kind of wasn't this week. And um no. and then for the again, I wanted the churros to have to be part of something. Yeah. You know, so like I feel like again, I just I was wanting there to be more. But I I did like what we got and it did make me crave, you know, all of these foodstuffs. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, like, my last question then is, and I saw this in my Twitter feed a little bit uh, when the episode was airing, and I was studiously avoiding tweets yeah. about it, but still seeing some while the episode was airing in, on the East Coast, was sugar in pancake batter. Yeah. Apparently not a thing. <laughs> That's, okay. The, the, see, I feel strongly about pancakes. 
Right. Um, I, I have very specific thoughts on how you make pancakes, and the mm-hmm. correct answer is you fold the egg whites separately. You Sorry, you whip the egg whites just to peak separately, and then you fold it in, and that gives it a lot more air, and, it, and they're fluffy, delicious, light, um, buttery amazingness, as opposed mm-hmm. to the dense, like, syrup sponges that other people call pancakes and I call hockey pucks. Um so and and the the there should be some sweetness to it not too much but like there should be you should be able to have like with just some applesauce and you don't need syrup on pancakes yeah. that's how I feel about it so this idea of not having any sugar in pancakes is very weird to me yeah and I I feel the same way but in like the opposite sort of perspective in like I like syrup on my pancakes but it's one of those things where I don't want the pancake to actually be all that sweet mm-hmm. um because that's what the syrup's for everyone um, yeah. And so when I saw like a discussions about whether or not sugar actually goes into pancake batters, yes. I just kind of went, oh, not a lot. Like you shouldn't put There's... a whole, ba- you shouldn't put the whole bag in there, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it doesn't. Well, and... it, yeah. Go, go ahead. Yeah. So it was just like, it shouldn't, doesn't necessarily need to like have a lot of sugar in it at all. Really. If, if any, like I, I'd be kind of okay with no, no sugar in there. Yeah. Well, I think the difference is it was interesting because if you know when when they're discussing what it should look like and what it should be and everything, Paul describes it as like dessert. Yeah. So I think with that's the ice difference. cream on the side, to with which I promptly cream... went, okay, sure. Like, yeah, and th- th- that's just so different from how I think of pancakes. I think of yeah. it as part of breakfast. So yeah. it should or dinner, you know, or, or you know, or or lupper, whatever you're gonna yeah. go with, or you know, brunch, dinner, and bre- breakfast, whatever you want to call that. But um. Yeah, the, the the um having there should be it should be sweet in that like you don't need to pour sugar all over it yeah. if you don't want to, but it shouldn't be that it should be as like a comparatively savory element. Like you're gonna put fruit on it, you're gonna put syrup on it, you're gonna put powdered sugar, you're gonna put something else on it or in it. Yeah. And that's what makes it sweet. It shouldn't be that sweet to start out with. So the idea of this is like a dessert pancake is an interesting like separate thing for me yeah and that's a fair point because i hadn't thought about it like as a dessert pancake even though that's how he sort of alluded to it as and but i just kind of went yeah that's that's a weird question but uh, like i said i saw a lot of people discussing that and going like yeah why wouldn't you put sugar in this and like not why wouldn't you put a good fair bit in there and it's just like <laughs> reasons um, reasons guys <laughs> yeah. reasons well yeah. maybe it's like crepes you know like there's the savory yeah. versus the sweet and sure Dessert versus breakfast and all of that good stuff. Okay, well, what ends your week in comedy and reality, Noel? We got got some contenders here. We do have some contenders, but for me, it's very clearly Danger and Eggs, uh, which is just so fun and so delightful and just so up my alley. So Mm -hmm. it's Danger and Eggs for me. What about you? What won your week in comedy and reality? Oh, I got to give it to Playing House with an honorable mention to The Carmichael Show. Okay. Yeah, because I just... Love having my adventures with with Maggie and Emma, and I will. I think it got renewed, right? That I don't have an answer to. Okay, um, listeners, I have no let idea. us know. <laughs> I am not saying yes or no. Either way, ah, ah, ah. this is not a limitless situation. Please I'm let glad, me know. I'm glad that you're never going to let yourself live that. Oh down, no, so I don't have to. No, 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 no. That I shall bear that shame for quite a ways to come. Uh, now we'll take a break and come back with our weekend genre and drama. You're a lion out in 
This week in genre and drama, we're going to talk a bit about Castlevania Season 1, an animated series that uh, opened on Netflix this week, that dropped on Netflix. Then I'll talk a bit about the Doctor Who finale, The Doctor Falls. We'll both talk Winona Earp, She Ain't Right. Then we'll move over to drama for Claws, Fallout, and Queen Sugar, My My Soul's High Song. So first up is Castlevania. There are only four episodes. There are only like 25-ish minutes each so you watched all this and when you said you're watching it's like oh i can watch them i made it like five minutes in Noel, and i was like what <laughs> this is terrible I don't, I don't know why you watched it at all because well, it was, just it like, was on the list and i was like well i need what should i watch there's so many options i was like well that one that seems like that and i could we could talk about it how did you watch four of these well, I, I, for those who aren't like familiar, Castlevania is an animated series uh, that has anime influences, but is not anime in mm-hmm. any way, shape, or form. Uh, it is semi-refreshingly like animated here in the U.S., which is weird even for shows that are like written and storyboarded here in the U.S. Most of them get shipped overseas. This one was done in the U.S., which is cool and interesting, and it was done by a federator who uh, does Adventure Time, as well as a couple of other shows in another studio whose name I can't remember off the top of my head. But this is based on the very popular um, Castlevania video game series. And this, in particular, is based on Castlevania 3. Ah, um, okay. Yeah, uh, I checked. Because um, <laughs> I, like, I looked at the, the plot to Castlevania 1, uh, right. the game. And you were like, what the like, fuck is this? This is yeah. not, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, it's based on Castlevania 3. Uh, and I should say that I've never played any of the Castlevania games except, like, really in passing. Not really my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, to your thing about, like, going what the hell, <laughs> and me watching all of this is basically, for those who have, like, watched, like, um... It reminded me, and I think it was designed to be before Netflix picked it up, as like a direct-to-video sort of thing. And even though it ends on sort of a stay tuned for part two, season two sort of thing, Mm -hmm. um, which I think maybe they adjusted because Warren Ellis, the comic book uh, writer, who's very popular and very good, Mm -hmm. um, wrote this and has actually been like working on this show for like 10 years Um, and like has done like five different scripts. Mm-hmm. Um, passion project for sure anyway so it reminded me very much of like an original video animation um of like this is sort of like a one-off idea that we were do for like a tie-in type of thing or we just had this really cool concept and we wanted to like extend the brand in some sort of way or do an adaptation of something that we hadn't really covered from the source material so forth and so on so like this idea that there's not a lot of character involved and there's not um or <laughs> that said there's not this... a lot there's no character <laughs> there's a little bit more in part two episodes two and three a little bit a little bit um not a lot enough yeah, they spend so get... more time in, in, in mm-hmm. the first episode talking with two random people talking about having sex with goats. 
uh, than they do with any an, character development. An important thing in a medieval European-esque countryside. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Not motivating our villain. Nah, no. why would we need to no. do that? And it's interesting that you say not motivating our villain because one of the things that I read while I was sort of like trying to find which Castlevania this was based on was that there was a fair amount of criticism about not making Dracula more sympathetic. <laughs> to which i promptly went okay sure i guess i mean he's angry his wife gets burned at the stake for being a witch i feel like it's okay that he's upset maybe not release the hordes of hell upset Mm -hmm. but he's upset um yeah but but we had to like in order to be to us buy him being upset about his wife being killed we had to buy that they had any relationship ever which is not granted no and this is where I get to like the original video animation and that the plot is basically just an excuse for violent things to happen yeah. and for spectacle to happen. And the first episode doesn't have a great deal of that. Um, it's in there a little bit, but like the, the next series of episodes, you get a guy who gets his eyeball whipped out by an actual whip. Mm-hmm. Um, you get like a, cy- a stone cyclops and you just get some like blood and guts explosion type stuff. That happens when you're fighting the demons of hell with a consecrated whip. And so all of this stuff like plays out, but I, that's what it's there for. Like, so it reminded me a lot of like, if anyone's listening and you watch like Vampire Hunter D and Vampire Hunter D was in your wheelhouse, then you'll probably sort of maybe like uh, Castlevania is the best I can say. But here's the thing is I just watched Vampire Hunter D again <laughs> for like the first time in like 10, 15 years. And this was something that was done in 1986 on a very limited budget and it it's it shows uh it's not good at all um and this is something that you would very much not like because the character is not there at all <laughs> um so yeah so if you're a big fan of castlevania uh but don't mind apparently some liberties taken with the source material um it's probably something to check out but as if you have no connection and like no frame of reference for what i think they're necessarily wanting to do or what mode they're operating in it's just kind of a slog to get through yeah no that's appropriate (laughs) don't watch this guys it's not good it's not even that interesting visually to look at no it's not yeah there's nothing there's nothing here yeah just like it, it did feel very much like like poorly written cutscenes. Yeah. Like that yeah. like bad cutscenes strung yeah. together with no gameplay and no choices and none of the part that makes playing games fun. Um yeah. so yeah, I was just very very puzzled by this. I expect much better from Warren Ellis. Um, and yeah. That's the weird thing is like his writing for Trevor Belmont is really good. His okay. writing for literally everyone else is terrible. And it's really bizarre because he's clear he's writing Trevor as this very kind of snarky drunk Mm -hmm. and like sad sack exile. Um, And it's very funny. And Richard Armitage does a really nice performance with it. And but that's like the only redeeming quality. Everything else is really poorly, ridiculously written. And like you said, Ellis is a much better writer than this, uh, but he can't seem to find any way to write any of these other characters. (laughs) And, like, even, like, the Bishop character is really poorly written and is salvaged by the fact that it's Matt Fuhrer playing the character and voicing it. And it's just, like, you give that man the phone book and he finds a way to imbue it with menace because that's what he does. Um, But, yeah. 
No, and and that character you mentioned who's good isn't even in the first episode. No, he's he appears right at the end and this is where I get to the fact that this was probably intended for a direct to TV move direct to video movie and they just chopped it up into four parts and you're just yeah. like, "Oh. Oh, this is really choppy and there's a reason why." Yep. Okay, let's move on cuz that's yeah. too much time. Tell me about the Doctor Who finale, The Doctor Falls, like how many times has the Doctor fallen at this point? Oh, I many. I feel like that happens a lot. Many times. Well, he's mm. he's died from and regenerated from falling at least once, very famously with the fourth Doctor's death mm-hmm. and regeneration into the fifth Doctor. Um, but, um, and there's just, there's many moments are flashing before my eyes of the Doctor having notable falls. Uh, usually they end up being very controlled falls. You're like, you can't fly. They're like, don't pay any attention. Um, anyways, uh, this finale... And they're all falling down the same hallway, which is really weird. Yeah, over and over again. <laughs> just the same just the same hallway. Um, so this was tricky for me. I caught up okay. with the last couple episodes back to back. Um, a friend of the show, Allison Shoemaker, had some real issues with the previous episode, What Happens to Bill. Um, and... And, and Bill's and the companion. Correct? Bill's the companion who gets shot with a hole through the chest, like immediately in the second to last episode, and gets turned into a Cyberman. And so, yeah, and this is the uh, this is the black queer lady, um, yeah, who spends the then the whole episode waiting around for the doctor to save her. <sighs> Because the doctor has said, wait for me. And she waits 10 years. And Moffat is obsessed, obsessed with people waiting, specifically ladies waiting for the doctor to come back. But but also the less centurion, Rory, also waits a thousand years or more right. for Amy. Which I was okay with. But this seems silly. <laughs> yeah. And it, it like, the the... It's, it's I have trouble with these episodes. I, I think I need to give them some distance and come back to them and watch them again to 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 know that I trust my assessment of it because sure. I'd so wrapped up in my frustration with all things Moffat and so yep. many of his pet themes and ideas that uh, I feel like I'm being harsher on it than well, I know that I'm harsher on it than a lot of other people because I was just I didn't buy it. So many of the things that he was doing, I was like. Sure, yeah, that's totally going to happen. Whatever. Let's see what's going to happen next. I'm sure the that Missy will really abandon the the doctor and there's not going to be a, a turn and the master's just going to go off into the sunset with Missy and wreak vengeance and that's totally going to happen and there's not going to be a last second like no, I'll really stay with the doctor, you know, like like so many of the turns and the the beats that I'm supposed to buy into just I didn't. I'm also very over the, one of the things Moffat loves to do, which is women being physically abusive towards men uh, or sexually aggressive towards men. And we're supposed to think that's funny or okay because it's gender swapped. He also thinks it's funny when that isn't gender swapped. Um, but this, in this episode, what we get, we get that with is Nardole and the, the, the woman who's, uh, you know, sexually harassing him for most of these episodes. Um, and um, and so, like, there's a lot of these little things like that. Scarecrows are back again, um, like scarecrow imagery, which is something that he has used over and over again in his in some of his most memorable episodes. Um, and uh, it's just like it's a lot of the same ideas. And so if I hadn't seen that idea before, it would be much more effective. But when I've already like I already remember how 
super creepy the scarecrows were in the doctor dances back in season one of new who seeing cybermen scarecrows is like okay i see what you're doing here and maybe it's like a, a fond shout out to your first episode you wrote in your series in the series when you weren't even the showrunner yet maybe that's what it is and this is your last episode you're writing and you know fair enough but for me it's less of a because it's not something I look back on fondly at this point, you know, it kind of limits things. Um, having a double master story is an interesting thing to do. I can't think of another episode of the show, of, of the series in its over 50 year history that does that where the two masters are working together. Um, there are episodes that have multiple masters or stories, adventures, I should say, that have multiple masters. But I don't, and, and listeners correct me if I'm forgetting one, I don't remember one where the same actor or the same master different actors are playing the master together so that's anytime they can come up with something the show has never done before in over 50 years that's pretty exciting and this so it was, was kind of neat the but the way that they bench bill in the first part of this two-parter um so that we can have her spend all this time waiting around for the doctor and being a janitor <laughs> and then being turning out to have been duped this whole time and it was really the master who was hanging out with her for 10 years to betray her like it's just it's just stupid especially because when you think as soon as you think about these things they fall apart because this is the master after after he's been on earth and been prime minister so it's after the stuff with tenet but before anything with with missy like as soon as you start thinking about these any any of these threads they just they just fall apart like the, the missy says i can't remember any of ever meeting you before because we're both here so it's screwing with time so therefore you can't create new memories which is why i can't remember this because you never created the memories in the first place but then when missy needs to have something conveniently tucked in a pocket she says i don't remember much from this time when I was you, but I do remember a very strange woman throwing me up against a wall and saying, always carry a blah, blah, blah with you. And, and whoever it was, she certainly made an impression. And then she's carrying that thing. So that'll fix their TARDIS so they can leave. Like, come on, work a little harder than that. Like, just like, I'm not willing to just give these things to Moffat in a way that I was back at the start of his tenure. So, Yes, the performances are good. Yes, I like that they... I expected them to unkill Bill based on the way that they, f frankly, killed Bill. Um, and yes, I'm aware I've said kill Bill a bunch of times now. Um, I like that, that ending, I guess. You know, you know, I would rather have Bill stick around. I think it doesn't really work, and it's a get-out-of-jail-free card. And the enjoyment that Moffat gets out of killing people, especially killing, like when you'd have a show that has had so few people of color in general and so very few queer people, if any, let alone a queer woman of color <laughs> as a companion, the enjoyment he gets out of torturing people with her impending death um, in the previous episode and the, the fact that she's a Cyberman and, and all these different things, like that's not cool. That's not okay. I don't think. And um, it's really frustrating. So I had a hard time enjoying the things that I know a lot of people really liked. That being said, am I stoked about the idea of Capaldi doing something with the first Doctor as played now by David Bradley? Yes. I think that it could be super duper fun. I don't remember if Moffat's writing it. I hope he's not. But, you know, David Bradley as the first Doctor interacting with the 12th Doctor. Sign me up. So I will be back in, at Christmas. But, um... Yeah, just, 
I'm just so ready for the Moffat tenure to be over that it's, I have to, I think, give myself some distance and see some new, whatever Chibnall does, some new who, so that I can go back and rewatch with fresh eyes. Because all of the, all the thread pulling, all the, the cutesy winks at the camera, all the, oh, the future is female. Oh, it's like, look at what we're doing. It's like, you don't get credit for that, Moffat. You don't get credit for having poorly written women for almost the entirety of, of your tenure, for just writing Amy a bunch of different ways until, or, or writing a blank slate question mark character defined entirely by pining for the doctor. And then writing Bill and killing her in the same season. Like, you don't get credit for that. So <sighs> I will not be going to the Doctor Who panel at Comic-Con. Let's just say that. Any questions? No. <laughs> no. Now that I've monologued <laughs> forever, let's cleanse the palate. Let's talk some lady power with Winona Earp. And she ain't right. And I, I, I already teased this earlier, but I know we were both, and especially myself, very uneasy or uncertain about, you know, the gooverly uh goo waverly um stuff um but i they've won me over with this episode and having Mm -hmm. it all come to a head in the third episode of the season and then and then in the fourth episode revealing everything and switching over to 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 goo winona gunona i love it i'm so glad that they didn't that they that they knew how to pace this i think they paced it really well uh what do you think yeah, I, I I think it was more a sense of relief than happiness um, mm-hmm. that we that this wasn't going to get dragged out. Yeah, um, it was kind of where I where I landed. It wasn't like yes, I feel confident now. It was more like oh, thank goodness. Okay, good because you can't have Goo Nona for like more than an episode or two. Yeah, <laughs> because then the show just doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, um, so it's just like we can. This is going to get resolved soon. Yeah, and I'm very happy about that. Um, just because I I wasn't really responding to it very well, very much. So mm-hmm. I'm like eager for them to shift over to what I think they're more interested in doing with um, creepy dude and the glasses, and now his two possessed sisters. Yeah, and they're like ready to shift gears into that, and that I'm interested in. That I'm interested in seeing playing out. So, but that all being said, I'm so here for if the goo demon whatever mm-hmm. is just like i'm not gonna hide anymore and i'm just going to have fun yeah. i'm so here to watch winona be possessed by a demon and just have a ball for an mm-hmm. episode because it'll be fabulous yeah um and i i was curious like about like why the demon chose to like regenerate a hand because they're just like kind of gave herself away <laughs> um but you know you just want maybe change bodies i don't know but it was also like the one thing that i sort of did not immediately respond to about this idea of winona like just like go- the demon like having complete control of winona and everything it's just like I- i'm sorry if waverly was too strong for you <laughs> <laughs> then i feel like winona would also similarly put up a fairly sizable fight for control um so i was like kind of wondering about that how that was going to play out considering the demon was just like said how tired it was Mm -hmm. of dealing with waverly and but i mean we'll find out this week which is an episode that they very purposefully were just like we're not going to show anyone until they airs (laughs) (laughs) uh so yeah so i was really relieved i enjoyed some of the stuff with like um the with the bad guy and Mm -hmm. All that stuff I thought was really fun with the 
jazz club and everything. The singing it, was nice. The singing and the singing and all she of it. She got a good it, voice. She does have a very good voice. Yeah, I was really impressed um, and surprised because I didn't expect that. Yeah. Um, so I thought it was overall a good episode, apart from all the doll stuff, which I don't care about that he can breathe fire. Um, <laughs> or if that was just an after effect of the the serum. Um, no, he's part dragon, apparently. He's part dragon? Okay. I wasn't entirely sure. Um, <laughs> because I don't really care. Um <laughs> So how did you feel about this? And are you excited about Gunona and all this other stuff that this episode is like setting up to really pay off this tonight? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to it. I think the actress is going to be a hoot. And I I think we've watched Winona struggle with the guilt over killing Willow. Yeah, Willow. And and I think that is the easiest thing to point to, to say why right now Waverly is much stronger willpower-wise than Winona, because Waverly is dealing with that, yes, but in a very different way to a much less extent. Mm-hmm. Whereas whereas we've seen how lost and you know, how, much, how, how much Winona is struggling right now, how, how lost Winona is and how much she's struggling with this. And that's before she had a demon sure. possessing her, feeding on her darkest in- impulses and most self-destructive instincts that she already wants to, you know, has struggles against when sure. she doesn't have the devil on her shoulder, you know? Um, so I think that should be a lot of fun watching the actress just c- cut loose. Um, and in a way that we haven't really gotten to see Winona do this season. Um, I think that'll be great. I thought that the, the stuff in the club was fun. The hand was good. And the, no, my hand's right here. Like that was an appropriate, like, and, and again, like you said, it was very satisfying watching like, Oh good. They're, they're just going, they're going all in with it. Yes. Good. Okay, we don't have to pretend anymore. This is going to push it to a point of no return, at least with Waverly or Gooverly and and Winona. Um, so I thought that all worked really well. Uh, the black badge stuff, though, otherwise we didn't care about. Don't care about the club. Um, don't care about the briefcase, other than it gives us more mythology to play with down the line. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, as for dolls, I thought the doll stuff was better than I was expecting, but mostly because I was expecting a, like an entire dolls episode, and we did not get that. So that was a good thing. <laughs> that that uh, was that was nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like again. I think that they've surprised me um, pleasantly with their pacing and and the balancing of these episodes. I think it has worked pretty well. And they, I had a lot of fun with the last episode, and I expect that this will be another really fun episode this week as well. Oh, we should mention for Clexicon fans that the actress who plays Nicole Hot will be back at Clexicon next year. They've already announced, and um, Anna Silk from from Lost Girl is going to be there too. Um, in, in I think Emily Andrus is going back, but I don't. They haven't made an official announcement about that. But so so lots of it's been lots of Winona Earp love in my timeline, mm-hmm. and it's been it's been fun to follow. Um, yeah, so it sounds like I'm even more maybe I'm just more willing to jump on the good. It's all going to be fine now bandwagon than you are. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, but I mean, it's also just me being like, all right. I'm ready for, like, the, I think, the bigger story that they're wanting to, like, the bigger plot, I should say, mm-hmm. that they're wanting to engage with to, like, begin. Yeah. Um, even though this, I think, is, like, the bigger story that they want to tell is, mm-hmm. like, both of these sisters and their respective struggles with darkness um, is something that I imagine will, like, carry through the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. But especially when you consider, like, a parallelism of now two sisters possessed by those weeping women sort yeah. of ghosts. Well, they're not possessed though, because well, those dead bodies were the sisters. Form, 
formed in the yeah, form of? Yeah, taking the form of or something. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah, something like that. It took um, me way too long to figure out that that's who those bodies were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was just like, well, they're faceless and it's been all like burned off in yeah. like a very Silence of the Lambs eaten off sort of thing yeah um but yeah so i feel like they're ready to like start i'm ready for some parallels to start really coming in Mm -hmm. focus and once that all gets going i'll probably be feel more on board okay whereas Uh, i feel like the goose stuff was just sort of a season one cliffhanger that now we have to pay off in a lot of ways yeah and it's been taking a while i will also mention um i listeners who are more uh, music obsessed might have noted I was tweeting about their scoring at the start of this week's episode, last week's episode, because uh, they used the Shostakovich uh, motif. Yeah. Do you know this? The da 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 da, the DSCH motif. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I said, okay, if you're going to use that, you better earn it. And I think that by the end of the episode, they <laughs> did. So tip of the hat to the to the composer over there at Winona Earp, whose name I should have looked up, but I, I will admit that I have not done that yet, um, for actually earning the Shostakovich motif in a way that most shows, when it most of the time it comes up and they do not earn it at all, and it just makes me very angry. Very, it's, <laughs> it's a motif that Shostakovich dedicated to the victims of fascism and war. So if you're going to quote that, you better bring it. You better earn that pain, and not just be like, "We'll borrow from the pain of the you know people who suffered the Dresden firebombing." That's fine. It's not fine, composers. Um, so, anyways, should we talk about the the sister kiss at the end? Of yeah, because I, I I I after I watched that, I immediately wanted to know how much of a discussion there was about that kiss, like in the writers' room, and then like on set when they were filming that day. And going, Uh all right, how much do we do here? And what's the appropriate amount here? Yeah. Oh, (laughs) that's... Because I feel like, I mean, she's possessed by a demon, so you could justify doing a much less chaste kiss than what ends up happening. Mm Mm-hmm. And it be the appropriate amount of ickiness. Yeah. And taboo because it's a demon, and demons don't give a shit about your taboos, humans. Uh Uh-huh. But I still feel like the really chaste peck, as it were, if it's a little more than a peck, but is the cor- was the correct choice overall. Uh, but how yeah. did you feel about it? Because I was just like, I want to know how much of a decision went into this. Oh, I just really felt like those. Like this is this is directly some fan service for a certain <laughs> portion of the audience. I immediately went to Winchester slash yes. well, yeah, Supernatural, yeah, 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 like. Sure. Like, it's not even, like, Game of Thrones, Twincest is Wincest. It's Wincest yeah. is Wincest on Supernatural. Um, so that's immediately where mm-hmm. I went to it. But I think you're right. I think that that works better. I think it's a e- more easy and more obvious answer to go for something more outrageous. Yeah. Um, so I think that this that this works well and was, was the appropriate level of, of creepy for them to, yes. to, to, to deploy. So, yeah. Yeah, I think creepy is the right word because it's so kind of familial mm-hmm. as opposed to sexy, raunchy type yeah. of thing that it, it's it's creepier doing a, a smaller, less engaged kiss yeah. than like a ah, tongue down the throat sort of kiss. <laughs> Listeners, if you had had that visual, oh, good times. Good if times. only we did a video podcast. If oh, only well. we did a video podcast. <sighs> Let's move on to Claws. 
and Fallout, and I forgot that this was airing until, like, today, that this had aired, because everything else took Sunday off, except yeah. uh, John Oliver. Was, and, yeah, John Oliver. And I'm so glad I watched it, because I love Gina Torres. <laughs> She's very, very good in this episode, isn't she? I, yeah. I, 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 I did feel a little bad for, like, um, the director of photography, because it was just like, how do we frame shots with Carrie Preston and Gina Torres? How do we do that? Um, How big not... of heels can we put Preston in? <laughs> right. And apparently the answer is not very big and sort of not well without the sense that Gina Torres is just towering over Carrie Preston. Mm-hmm. Um, because those shot reverse shots were just like, oh, wow, Gina Torres is really tall and Carrie Preston is very not tall. Um, <laughs> so, but no, I was really delighted. I didn't know Gina Torres was going to show up in this and in the show. So I, I, I did like a little happy clap when she yeah. showed up as i do when she shows up in anything mm-hmm. as, and i did not expect her to and so it's like yay and we're mm-hmm. gonna pretend that and then we're gonna get in an snm sort of outfit even better <laughs> so we're just stretching all kinds of boundaries here um yeah no i liked this episode uh, a bit even if i i still feel like claus still has like a lot going on and they're sort of like overdoing the here's a new obstacle thing mm-hmm. as opposed to like sort of letting like a moment of peace kind of settle. Um, so this whole, I may be blurring episode three into episode four. So I apologize. Um, but like the whole thing with the clinic and um, then like needing to pay off uncle daddy as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And then like, how does this episode end with whatever, with uh, Dr. Nick or whatever getting kidnapped. Right, 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 right. Aaron, to go off to go get killed, basically, yeah. and shot um, by Bryce. Yes. I say that's right. By the brother. By the brother, Roller's brother. Yeah. And it's just, it all still feels like a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And when they kind of, they're supposed to, like, like, merge and, like, cause problems all at the same time, so, like, Desna trying to get Dean ready to go for training and Uncle Daddy calls at the worst possible moment. Uh, but it, it's, it, for me, it's all really entertaining and well-performed, but it's also just all so much still. And so, like, stuff in, like, episode three that has, like, the bachelorette party and where there's a moment of, like, victory happening. It's just, like, it's really nice. And mm-hmm. I really like those kind of moments occurring, but I feel like there's not enough of them Mm-hmm. And I want more of them. <laughs> so I can, like, let them have a chance to breathe just a little bit before we get to the next thing that they Desna has to somehow undo. How are you feeling about it, then? <laughs> oh, I thought this was such an improvement on mm-hmm. on episode two. I was really worried after episode two. Sure, um, sure. And, I, I thought, and, and, of course, it helps that you have Gina Torres being fabulous. So much yeah. fun in this. And it was also the most fun I've had with Carrie Preston's character so far. Yeah. Um, but so, and I, I thought that just a lot of this, the tone of it and the 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 pacing of it all was much better than you know. I, I was encouraged by the first episode, then a little concerned after the second episode. I think by episode four here, they've found a better balance of things. Uh, Harold Perrineau, I thought was terrific in that scene with yeah. with Dean seeing their like, and we get the, and I liked that they gave us just enough information about that later in the episode when it was appropriate to. Have that make sense, but you know, I and then be like, I want to kill them. Yeah, you know, was was really 
perfectly delivered, I thought. And um, yeah, it was a it was a I think a really terrific way to add stress to that situation, but feel very true to those characters and and be very um, respectful of and honest with 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 Dean and some of the things that you know that make him different than than other people on the show, um, people who are more neural neural typical. Uh, and um, yeah, so I, that part of it episode also worked. Uh, we also I think had the appropriate amount of Uncle Daddy, um, and we got that weird synchronized swimming thing. But so I'm weird. I'm but I'm here for it. <laughs> I I I I I was glad that we found out that it was real. Yeah. Uh, because I was just like, is he just really high right now? Because it really could have gone either way or both or both. <laughs> but no, it was like. No, he's he's paid these people to put on a synchronized swimming thing with his um, sexy young man yeah. um, as, like, the star. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, okay, this is a thing that this guy's doing. Uh, it's weird, and I'm kind of not sure what to do with it, but I, am at, I just really admired the show's dedication to not not like cheap showing it cheaply or any way like mm-hmm. this was a routine that we got to see a very large amount of without like a lot of cutting yeah so i was really impressed by that <laughs> yeah definitely definitely um any other thoughts or should we move on to queen sugar no we should move on to queen sugar because my follow-up thought was going to be about that <laughs> so what did you feel how did you feel about what's the my soul's my, high my soul song. song high song what, I, what stood out I was so glad to catch up with these, yeah. uh, both three and four, and it just it just made like this is the best ensemble on TV right now. Just like it's so good, they're they're all so good, and I love them all together. And um, I just I'm really digging the season so far. Um, this episode, uh, I thought that the 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 again the balance the the way that they keep coming like straining the tensions with the siblings and then pulling them back for me feels organic and feels yes. appropriate instead of feels feeling like a manipulation or over overly teased. Um, my only concern is that they immediately have Darla back backtrack and, and fall off the wagon because I think that is not something the show needs right now. Um, I think they got more than enough going on. Um, yeah. And yeah, so I'm really hoping that they surprise me with that. <laughs> I'm not liking, based on how the episode ended, my hopes aren't high uh, with where that storyline is going. But other than that, I thought the rest, you know, really worked well. Uh, how did you feel about the the stuff with Micah um, and and Blue and their parents' reactions? I mean, some of it just kind of didn't play as well as I think it wanted. And this gets to like our discussion about what happened to Micah while he was in holding for four hours yeah and the degree to which like you being of the opinion that something very clearly happened and me Mm -hmm. being like he was in holding for like not even a day yeah um type of thing so i think a lot of that is just them wanting to play up micah's trauma Mm -hmm. and but without really defining it beyond the experience of it which i think is i still think is smart but when you want to play it off as like him being really weirdly responsive towards Blue sneaking up on him, and even if it was kind of clearly an accident, but then, like, you've laid the groundwork by him yelling at him earlier about the notebook. And yeah. it's just kind of like, 
I, I don't see how all of this is really connected. Mm-hmm. And I'm not buying that it's necessarily that he has that kind of response to his binder being decorated. Mm-hmm. That leads to the larger blow up between uh, Ralph Angel and uh, Charlie. Yeah. So it, it didn't really work as well as I think the show wanted it to. But it also made me glad that the show very quickly went, no, 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 it's okay sort of thing. At least between Micah and Blue, like it's very quickly resolved. Yeah. with the art set and i was really happy about that because it was just like i don't need this drawn out in this particular fashion because it's not really clicking but as a thing to further deepen tensions between charlie and ralph angel it's more successful at, as a thing mm-hmm. but it it's not something that works for like micah and blue but it feels it feels like an easy but still semi-effective way to create larger tensions between Charlie and Ralph Angel. Yeah. Um, I will say I am 100% here for Vi opening up a bakery business in some way, whether it's out of the house and it's delivery Mm -hmm. or if there's a small storefront, whatever. But yes. Yeah, no, that'll be great. And uh, hopefully Hollywood, you know, actually stays to, you know, help make pies, jerk. (laughs) It was your idea to do this. I mean, I appreciate that you want to go help the crops on the farm, but you... You put Vi in the position of having to make a lot of pies. <laughs> I like I liked her, her with the pie. <laughs> I liked her watching him like separate the eggs and totally fail to separate the first egg. It's right. like don't say anything. Okay. Yeah. No. He's he's trying to help. Just keep stirring, you know, like that was nice. <laughs> keep lowering temperatures. Yeah, yep, yep. <laughs> Making sure everything's okay and mm-hmm. not actually incorrect. <laughs> No, it was um, really good. Was there... No, I agree with um, the backslide. Um, but I also... It's one of those things where, like, again, with, like, the Micah stuff, is, like, it's set up in such a way that Ralph Angel won't care because, like, he doesn't associate, as she explains, like, the keeping the jobs part of her, like, sobriety and that sort of thing, whereas yeah. Ralph Angel just asking her to come and not really connecting those threads when he's yeah. established the fact that he doesn't really see any value in the program yeah, um, is really good. But it's also one of those things where I don't feel like they dramatize like a struggle for her quite enough mm-hmm. to go do all for her to leave when she's fully aware and is able to vocalize the fact that this is an important part of her program. Yeah. But isn't able to do that to Ralph Angel. And understandably, given his opinion about it, but still just like part of that program, so far as my understanding, is being able to discuss it and stick to it and doing what you need to do to make sure that you stick to it, which is sometimes not helping yeah, someone uh, with something. And so, yeah, it, I, I'm still really enjoying the show and I'm still really happy. It's just like little scenes are popping up for me. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of where I'm falling with it. Um, what's the... Oh, so to answer a question that is established at the end of the episode, how long do you think Charlie will last living in the mill? <laughs> <laughs> um, until the Landrys do something that forces them to go back to Vi's house? Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's probably correct. That is the correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think stubbornness-wise, and because it's a TV show and sets cost money... Yeah. She'll, they'll be there for a while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just and it's cheating. A big, it's like a big brick set. I mean, like, it's, yeah. Yeah. So that's going to be like a thing that they have to stay in for a little while. Well, and also, are you 
kidding me. Like, Remy's restraint to not just, like, verbally smack her upside the head. Four bedrooms, there's two of you. Yeah, no. Like, I mean, he's very restrained in that. He's just like, I'm never going to use that guest bathroom. Ever. Give the man a medal. And it's just like, four bedrooms. And it's just like, guys, come on. Your 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 high school age son doesn't need his own private theater. That's yeah. not teaching him the right lessons. <laughs> anyways, anyways, we'll see we'll see where the rest of the season goes. Um, what wins your week in genre and drama? It was Castlevania, wasn't it? It was totally Castlevania. You didn't get to see the fourth episode and the episode that had a lot of James Cowles in it. So no, it's totally no, it's not Castlevania. Um, can I pick Perot? Can I pick? Yeah, Perot? absolutely. Right, you can I'm pick Perot. I'm going to pick Perot because it was it was it was a really good thing that was in drama and genre, technically speaking, if you want to mm-hmm. go that way, that I got to enjoy this week. So I'm going to pick that. Uh, what about you? I have a feeling it's Winona Earp, but what it's was Winona it? It's Winona Earp. It's yeah. Winona Earp. Yeah. yeah, we had ladies singing songs and <laughs> hands getting cut off and regrowed and and demon Regr- juice cooking and Regr-ed. like yeah. <laughs> It was, it was, uh, it was a, it was a very, and we had taunting and, and black eyed craziness and we had an appropriate use of the Shostakovich name motif. Of course it was going to be one on earth this week. <laughs> we'll see what happens next week. Um, now we'll take a break and come back with our season, I guess, season one and two spotlight on chewing gum. We'll be right back after this. Heavenly father, thank you for preserving our virginity thus far. We will wait until we die. If it brings you glory. Meet Tracy. I'm 24. I'm a virgin. Tracy wants more excitement from life. What are you doing? Well, you might want a shot at taking the title. No, not more Ludo. I'm gonna make it happen. She wants to grow up. Um, I like you. And live the life other people live. It's like Beyonce. Is it? But she still has a lot to learn. Step into Tracy's world. <laughs> I don't remember if I was supposed to wear clothes for this bit or not. <laughs> Brand new comedy, Chewing Gum, coming soon on E4. That was the trailer for Chewing Gum, which is a show that aired on Channel 4 in the UK, and it's available streaming in the US on Netflix. It's um, written and starring Michaela Cole um, about a, you know, 20-something, she's like 24, right? Year-old woman in in London in the council estates who is a, she works in a shop and she lives with her very religious mother and her sister her younger sister and she is a virgin that's a big part of her struggle is her struggle with her sexual identity and trying to get out from under her mother's thumb and really experience the world uh so chewing gum is one of those shows that has been sort of on on people's best shows you haven't seen yet kind of list or make sure you see get out kind of list um michaela cole's gotten some um acclaim with different awards things for season one and season two and it certainly was one that we both had been meaning to to check out for a while uh noel how did you what did you heard about chewing gum and how did it live up to any expectations you might have had or maybe you didn't have any what did you think well, um, the most that I'd known was, like you alluded to, some uh, a couple of best shows you're not watching kind of thing. And then I had a now ex-co-worker who really, really liked it. 
and had like been gently prodding those of us in our Slack team to like check it out. Uh, and Hannah has a pretty good taste in television, so I was expecting mm-hmm. something good at the very least. And what I got was, in fact, something good and then something mm-hmm. very good in that I sort of liked the first season, um, but I really, really liked the second season a lot more. And so I, I was very on board, but I feel like the second season was just a lot sharper overall than the first season was. Um, but yeah, I still really, really liked this. And how did you feel about it, like going into it for this? Because like you, like you said, this is something I'd been meaning to watch, um, but just had sort of never been like mm-hmm. in the right space, I guess. And then I was just like, well... Danger and Eggs and British Detectives, I guess I can work in this too, <laughs> was my response to like having a four-day weekend. Yeah, yeah. Well, and again, there's six episodes per, per season. They each a half an hour, so it's a pretty, pretty right. quick catch-up if you're so inclined. Yeah, I yeah. liked it a lot, yeah, and yeah, I thought yeah. it was interesting and pretty fun, and I liked the different d- dynamics that we saw. I had, well, it's, I had trouble with Cynthia. We'll talk about Cynthia. Excellent performance, but I just, that's, that's an annoying character. Um, and I actually, it's interesting because I think I liked, I liked most of the elements of the second season with one major flag. We're going to talk spoilers for this. So just be alert. Be, be, you've been warned. I think we would both say go check out Chewing Gum. Yeah. 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 Check out Chewing Gum. If you don't want to be spoiled, come back when you are done. Okay. Let's dive in. Uh, which we can talk about, which is I maybe I missed something. Did I miss some reason uh, given for the, you know, <laughs> for for Candice apparently sleeping with her boyfriend's dad? You didn't. I mean, apart from the fact that she never really felt like um, Aaron. Yeah, I want to say it's Aaron. I don't think Aaron, that's yeah. right. But yeah, it's it's Aaron. Um, Aaron's like sort of like more pat, more passive sort of not stereotypically mm-hmm. masculine um, approach um, to mm-hmm. interacting, we'll say, is sort of what drives that. But no, that doesn't. I that didn't buy did it for a second at all, especially when the dad then no. says, "Don't worry, he's a condom." Right. It's just like, uh yeah, I. I really don't b- believe a line yeah. at all. And yet. then it seems like that's something that's going to f- yeah. feed into and fuel a significant chunk of next season, too, assuming there is one. And yeah. that is very disconcerting for me because I was hoping it would be like the dad is being a jerk and messing with him and nothing significant happened. I have trouble with anything at all going down, but like that seems way too far. Um other than that, though, I do. Yeah, so, so yeah, I'm glad it wasn't just me no. having trouble with that in in the second season because that was it really put like a damper on my appreciation uh, for the second season. Um, but I did really like uh, quite a bit of of really pretty much everything else about that second season. I liked what we got with the um, uh, the the ending with the the christening for the baby and with um, so the stuff with. With Cynthia, I liked finding Ronald again, and he's just still being horrible. It's not that he is, he's a bad person because he's gay and he was in a six-year relationship with Tracy and then engaged to, to Cynthia. No, no, no. He's just a horrible person yeah, yeah. overall. Um, and I also really liked getting more with Ola in, in, in the second season as well. Yeah, and I, I think, like, 
dealing with the dad, Aaron's dad thing is also sort of like weirdly part and parcel with a lot of mm-hmm. like some of the like where they're wanting to mine their comedy for. Like, I mean, yeah. there's the whole thing at the end with Cynthia finding out that she's slept with her step stepbrother, step half brother, something, something, like something that. like that. Yeah. At the very least, like half brother. And um, so, like, they they've had that sort of a taboo broken. And then what? There was another one that I can't think of off the top of my head. Oh, right, of mm. course. No, there's boy Tracy. And his yeah. obsession with Tracy. Yeah. And leading to a very fun, like, the episode in the sex club is, like, just really, it's really ridiculous. funny. And I really, really liked that episode a great deal. I thought it was mm-hmm. really, really funny. Even if I don't like any of the boy Tracy's, like, angle stuff. Like, his obsession, yeah. even to the point where he's just like, it's okay, it's legal in the UK. To which we all went, oh, of course it is. Which also goes back to, like, an earlier tweet when I was watching Perot and going, like, well, no, sweetie, it's okay, A, because it's Michael Fassbender, and B, it's legal in the UK. Uh, (laughs) um, So, but yeah, so it was just, like, Cole Cole is seemingly interested in, like, navigating that kind of thing for at least comedy's sake. Uh, Because, Mm -hmm. like, it's a runner in, like, three different sort of plot characters now. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know quite what to do with that, apart from, like, thinking that it's a sort of, like, boundary sort of pushing thing, but it has to be, like, funny or, like, motivated in the case of, like, what happens with um, with uh, Candace. And um, it doesn't necessarily feel all that motivated. Um Mm-hmm. But the other stuff... And that, yeah. That's a bit of an issue in the show overall, yeah. because the the split with Tracy and Candice also happens off screen. We don't really... I mean, yeah. other than the fact that Tracy disappeared yeah. for a while, which, fair enough. But, like, that's another one that's supposed to be this huge fight that they just decide to stop having yeah. and fixes itself immediately, which I, I totally buy that. But, again, if you want us to fully invest, it'd be good to see more of, of it, and I, I really understand why. Yeah, no, absolutely. And this is one of those instances where I'm just kind of like, maybe if there were just two more episodes, Mm -hmm. everything would kind of like really sort of gel. Because that was like one of the big things I was running into with the first season was I was just like, a lot of this is happening very quickly for me Mm -hmm. in a way that the humor is good, but the plotting for it is like not really like landing in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So like the, the, how rapid like things go to Connor it's just like, I understand that it's largely motivated by Tracy's desire to have sex. Um, mm-hmm. And that's fine. But I mean, when they keep trying to like tell us that it's a little bit deeper than that, I keep going, I don't see that as necessarily deeper. I see it as Tracy really enjoys the fact that her boyfriend is a shut-in. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I can appreciate that. But it, you keep trying to tell me that it's something a little bit more. And I don't know that I buy that it's ever something a little bit more, but that's something that they double down on in the second season. Yeah, and I, like, I think too often they're trading on Robert Lonsdale is very attractive. Is he? As compared to, but as compared to Connor. Okay. You know what I mean? Right, okay. Like, 
like like if you notice in the the credits they show that shot of him coming to visit the family showing up in the suit and tie right. and they cut the camera off so you can't see he's wearing a ridiculous tie because yeah. that's what ridiculously short tie you can't tie a tie because that's supposed to be the charming boyfriend shows up and does the right thing moment rather than the your boyfriend's an idiot yeah moment that it actually is and i feel like there's too often that they are trying to do just like standard romantic comedy beats where where you the camera the show is saying look how pretty he is yeah. but but he's not really acting in character in that moment it's just like it's just like him walking around or just like a glance or but it doesn't it's not a uh jordan catalano kind of style thing where you're like leaning and looking pensively because that's a thing that he does just more like you know like it didn't feel in character with connor we actually see connor being connor i don't think they have earned why tracy likes him once you know like once they've established like what is what more is there yeah yeah and that that was always like the big thing so like as much as i sort of enjoyed like their attempt at the lock-in episode with the store by the way that store got Mm. a huge upgrade between seasons (laughs) (laughs) um uh or she moved to a different store either way i think it was the same Mm. store but like they got a massive budget upgrade for that store um probably just for that episode but um it was just like i appreciated like their desire to sort of like play that but again, mm-hmm. it just never landed. So when we meet um, Emma. Emma, thank you. When we meet Emma, and I'm just like, she seems perfectly nice. Um, yeah. And I, I, again, this also like feeds into again their whole sexual taboo thing with him being like 18, 20 um, ish, and her being mm-hmm. 45, I think. Yeah. And going like, well, yeah, type of thing. So I I feel like there's a lot of sex comedy elements here that sometimes don't always land even if there are larger parts of the show that i think are really really funny that we have not discussed <laughs> yeah wait we're supposed he's supposed to be 18 i mean that makes sense with what you, so you said it's like oh yeah that's why they did some line about it's legal it's like yeah yeah why wouldn't it be because the actor is not 18 and does not look 18 for a second yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay i didn't even make that connection i was like well i mean yeah there's an age gap there but like you know Nothing that you'd be saying, oh, don't arrest us. That's that's weird. That's weird. Um, but let us talk about the things that are funny because there are so right. many of them. And we've gotten caught up in the wrong aspects of right. the show. <laughs> Go for well, it. Well, I, I know we talked about Ronald being awful, but he's also just really funny. And the performance yeah. is just really spot on because the actor never leans away. Uh, John, John McMillian uh, never leans away from being terrible. Like, there's mm-hmm. clearly no humanity in Ronald whatsoever. Yeah. And he doesn't pretend that there is until like, mm-hmm. unless he's out to get something in particular. And I love yeah. that. He's, he's just a terrible human being. And it's all very funny. Like even watching him destroy like the wedding stuff in that quick flashback is very funny. But then it's like the whole, can you just wait until, until I finish? And then we can talk about this. And it's just like, Oh, <laughs> you're so awful. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, um, let's talk about just briefly about Aaron's obsession with not being able to honey trap Ronald. <laughs> <laughs> so 
so delightful. And that's and when that was like Candice was saying, you're so weird. But that wasn't like a stumbling block for right. her at all. Yeah. I, I, it was such a, a wonderful thing. And then they seemingly, seemingly backpedal and all that in the, yeah. at the end of the second season. But that was that was a really funny and really effective like threat. And I also like this idea of, like at that point we don't really know Aaron that well. Yeah, we don't. So with him being like, no, I will do this. Yeah. It was I think a really great way to get a better sense of him. Yeah. It was, and like you said, it was just really, really funny too because he's just like. He thinks he's got him is the thing. He's just like, and then the arm wrestling is just like, yes, I have him. And then he's like, with that guy? Really? (laughs) So, yeah, Yeah. no, that. We should also talk about Cynthia. (sighs) Cynthia. I mean. Who is terrible. She is. But, God, again, it's one of those instances where um, the actress who's Susan uh, Wokama um, uh, is so good. Yeah, she's really, really she's... good. I mean, it's not her fault. No, 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 no. That she's so... No, no, no. It's not... No, I mean, it's not Cynthia's fault. Right, no. That she is the way that she is. Right. No, 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 no. I mean, she's written that way. But it's just like... Again, like, in in sort of like an inverse of Ronald in that Cynthia is terrible, but I still like Cynthia on, like, certain mm-hmm. levels where I don't like oh, Ronald yeah, at all. But I really like Cynthia, even though she's just kind of mean and super yeah. judgy. But you can. But the show does a really nice job of making sure that you're aware that these are insecurities that she's overcompensating mm-hmm. for by being awful and judgy, as opposed to she's just mean and judgy. And I really yeah. like that. And uh, Wakama just does a really nice job of making sure that that all comes through. So mm-hmm. I, it's, it's like anything with Cynthia for me was immediate. Um, she's so insecure right. and but i mean like how how could she not be right given who what her personality like base setting is yeah. growing up in that house with that mother like that with all that religious baggage placed on her and and also tracy this like this obsession with purity and and all these different things like how could she not be messed up? Yeah, and I, 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 it gets like epitomized and like the whole this is a, this is my limo, and it's just like this is not a limo. This is not a limo. They're driving two feet. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a hatchback that's white. It's not a limo. <laughs> yeah. Yep. yep. Um, and um, the the ever present board of Ludo game of Ludo. I've never actually played Ludo. Never have I. But. I clearly I'm feeling based on my affinity for board games I would I would enjoy but I've I've Cynthia feels like the kind of person who can't lose well yeah for sure so I don't know that I would enjoy playing with her yeah I, I wouldn't want to try playing uh, Ludo with her either um ever and yeah. I've never played Ludo either so I definitely don't want her to teach me how to play mm-hmm. Ludo um no how did you feel about uh the like the other denizens of the complex particularly like the more like white trash um <laughs> folks that element the more yeah the more white trash element uh because i think they're all really delightful um yeah and i like how the show never seems to be laughing at them to, for being white trash it's just like mm-hmm. they're all really cool and supportive Sure, they're lower class, but so are we. But they're just, mm-hmm. they're all really great and super supportive and really nice. And also, she's willing to give a blind guy two shags. <laughs> yeah, I, I really liked um, Candice's uh, grandmother. Yeah. And just in like the way that she lives with her grandma yeah. and 
that's all we need to know. Yeah. We don't know more about her background and history because that doesn't really matter um, on the scale of things. Um, so I, I really enjoyed her. I thought that that was a really fun character and, and a nice change in dynamic, especially when the only mother figure you see is Tracy's mom. Yeah. Um, I like that she gets more to do in the second yes. season. Um, but it was a really nice counterpoint there. Um, and yeah, the, 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 also the super pregnant, <laughs> um, younger women, uh, as well. Uh, I, I, yeah, like you said, there, the show has a real respect and warmth for all of its characters and it's very definitively set at the council estates. It's at public housing. These are people who do not have money. This is plenty of, um, there's plenty of discussion of, you know, like, do you, do you even have a job or where where are these people working? What futures do they possibly have? Like the, oh, my God, the, the second season finale and being very certain that the baby is one of has one of three fathers. And then realizing maybe it doesn't and I won't spoil I won't spoil that reveal Um is just like it's hilarious and it's played so well yeah. uh yeah it was it's just super fun they create a real sense of community yes in 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 the, just only a handful of episodes and i think it works yeah like you said i think it works really really well yeah and i, I think that's the thing that i especially like you alluded to at the end with the sort of christening i really like mm-hmm. that but also just like the being able to see tracy and cynthia's mom's church yeah. Um, however, briefly, I thought it was really important for that character to stop being so ridiculously one note, um, yeah. which was a big problem I had in like season one was yeah. that it was such a broad joke, evangelical sort of character that I was just like, mm-hmm. uh, I think you're better than this show, even acknowledging like the autobiographical elements of the show. Mm-hmm. I was just like, you're better than this sort of like very broadly sketched character. So I was really glad to like see her have to have a struggle with having her ministry approved by Mm -hmm. a council woman who totally gets on board, but goes, yeah, we still have to shut this down because this is terrible, but I see the light. And it's just like, (laughs) this is so good. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciated like that aspect of it. Yeah. And well and then also finding out that the dad is around. Yeah. We just haven't spent time with him, but it's not like she had an absentee father. Right. It's just like and I liked how casually they explained that. It's just like, yeah, he was around sometimes when he want, wanted to be and he's he's a perfectly fine guy. End of yeah. story. What more what more were you expecting exactly? And I really appreciated like yeah. that joke about what more exactly were you already expecting people watching yeah. the show and making assumptions about my dad? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, this is based on um, Michaela Cole's uh, play, yeah. right? Or one woman show, uh, Chewing Gum Dreams. Yeah. Um, I, I'm curious for you, was the how effective was the direct-to-camera? Because I, got to be honest, I struggled with a little bit after seeing Fleabag. Okay. Because it was felt a little too similar. Oh, I can see that. Yeah, um... I, I didn't really a I didn't make that connection, but you're I think you're correct. Um, but b direct to camera is very rarely an issue for me, mm-hmm. um, unless it's just like in a way that doesn't make any kind of sense for me, and it's sort of like an obscenity thing. I can tell you exactly when it happens when I just like this doesn't make sense mm-hmm. that there's a direct to camera address in this show. Um, 
be, but for this, I, I, I feel like it worked. And I think, again, your connection to Fleabag makes sense for me. Uh, since again, like both are grounded in a theatrical performance setting. And yeah. I, so I didn't really, I never really stumbled over it in any way, shape or form. And, but I also liked the fact that chewing gum, unlike Fleabag, chewing gum sort of like acknowledges the fact that she's not talking to anyone sometimes. Yeah. And the characters are just like, what the fuck are you talking to when they walk in on her <laughs> talking to us? So I, yeah. I like that. So it's just like, I can, even if, maybe you're sort of like not you specifically but like a more general you you're like wishy-washy on it the show at least pokes fun at the direct address and yeah. that i think buys for me anyway a lot of goodwill um because mm -hmm. like they even show her like from behind talking into air and it's just like mm -hmm. this is very good <laughs> Mm -hmm. but yeah so did you so you only got hung up on it a little bit or yeah well it just it, it it's the kind of thing that if i hadn't seen fleabag would have felt much more unique and um uh just given a distinct personality to the show okay. but i've now seen enough shows that do that that especially in and fleabag was recent yeah um and, and, and it got so, that element of fleabag got so much praise over here yeah as being like, oh, this wonderful opportunity to engage with the camera and have this whole conversation with it. And so it didn't feel like that as much then seeing it in, it's like, oh, we're doing this. Right. Okay. And, but and, and like this yeah. predates Fleabag, at least in terms of like oh, television yeah. release. No, I'm not so. saying that they were copying right. Fleabag. Oh, no, no, I know. purely based on right. the order that I've been yeah, watching. Yeah, yeah. And, and that makes sense. But yeah. like to your point about like the critical response to it. And, like, this mm -hmm. predates that. But also there's been, like, a shit ton of shows that do this device. It's not a yeah. new thing, yeah. anyone. Um, yeah. Like, hi, yeah. Malcolm in the Middle. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Or various Indeed. other shows. Yeah. Um, I, the last thing I will mention is that I did really enjoy the various flights of fancy that we get for for Tracy. And, like, the, oh, God, creepy eye contacts in her makeover. And, like, when she's like all ridiculously high or drunk, whatever it is um, at the party and imagining your speed. Like I very much enjoyed the sense of humor around imagination and fantasy yeah. that we get. I loved all of the uh, constant referencing to Beyonce uh, and Jay-Z. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, and Drake. So, so terrific. Yes. Yes. Uh, were there any other elements that, that you really connected with? Uh, I liked all of those because they were just so like, the broad but also like deeply specific i think in terms yeah. of like yes everyone understands these references but they all feel very specific to who tracy would be and yeah. i really like that but also like their capper of like playing off of all of that and then having her boyfriend be storm z and just having mm -hmm. him show up and ola somehow in the span of hours getting him to show up because she has the cancer <laughs> And just sometimes she forgets, guys. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's just it's it was very good. So I liked how all of that played out. Um, anything in particular else? I, I feel like I can't say enough about how much I enjoyed like Tracy attempting to mm -hmm. rally the sex club. Like the whole like <laughs> a her realization that she could sleep with anyone had she just read the yeah. rules first. But yeah. was a just really really funny. But B also just like her whole like call to arms about not necessarily needing to have sex for validation 
at mm-hmm. the sex club. It's just like, no, we can have dildo volleyball and it'd be amazing. <laughs> and it's just like, this is really good. I really liked, I really liked all of that. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, again, it just speaks to how much more like that episode was like a real turning point for the show for me, even though it comes like halfway through season two, but it was just like, yeah. it, it showed a lot more sure footedness compared to the first season for me. So, yeah. yeah. And I think we should also mention, this is a show that, I mean, it's right there in the description. This is a show that's very forward and front and center with the sexuality of women of color. And celebrating that and celebrating choice. And, yes, they manufacture for far too long um, the idea of Tracy still feeling like she's a virgin because she hasn't had penetrative sex. Yeah. Um, That gets stretched out, like, because as a premise thing, I think, way too long. Yeah. But... Um, the, you know, like <laughs> Queen Sugar and, and a handful of other shows, this is a show that is very upfront and very, um, like puts a spotlight on the sexuality of women of color in a way that I think is respectful and interesting and fun and funny and sexy when it's appropriate and, uh, without being exploitative. And that's something that there was a, there was a great, um, a really, really interesting piece, uh, that I read today about talking about the big sick, um, but just in general about, erasure of women of color from romantic narratives involving men of color um and and so that it's been on my mind a a bit more and um that's something that's certainly in thinking about the show and like the 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 fact that this is your lead is this 24 year old black british woman um and who's very repressed and then trying to because of her upbringing and trying to deal with that and adjust to what she wants to be rather than what she has let her mother dictate that she be. Um, I think that that's an important element to the show, and it's something that definitely we should at least mention. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, I mean, it defines the show in, like, no small way. So yeah, it's very central to everything that they're yeah. doing. It's part of what makes is what makes the show something that you need to watch. Yeah, and it's not just Tracy. It's right. also Cynthia. It's also Candice. It's it's a bunch of these characters. And like Aaron, uh, even to certain extents. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and boy, Tracy. And boy, Tracy. Oh, poor, poor boy, oh, Tracy. Yeah. Okay. Boy, Tracy. So I think we can both say the Televerse endorses Go See Chewing yeah, Gum. Yeah, absolutely. Two thumb, four thumbs up. Four thumbs up, listeners. Um, now, if you show notes here at the end of the episode, you can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org, which is the website for the podcast. And you can leave a comment there and let us know what what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You are also up in iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed that lets you kind of skip between shows uh, or an MP3 unchaptered feed if M4As don't work for your device. Um, we are also up in Stitcher, and we would appreciate ratings and reviews both on Stitcher and uh, on iTunes. It would be very helpful. Um, you can can also find us on facebook like the page there and start up a conversation or we are both on twitter i'm at the televerse and noel you are at noel rk <laughs> and uh next week is our big comic-con preview I, I, like i'm not ready for it to be comic-con yet noel like there's summer's disappearing i can't handle it Aww. i'm so sorry that you have to go to a con- that you're gonna go to a convention and have a lot of fun no. and as soon as I get back from the convention, I have to start scheduling my my fall lesson times, which it means in my head, the summer's over. The summer's over in, like, two weeks for me, and I can't, like, it's too soon. I need there to be more summer. Can you just invent a TARDIS for what me? What if you just never come back from San Diego? What if you just stay in San Diego? 
a magical place where yeah, it's always summer and where there's you know n- n- nothing costs any money yeah exactly <laughs> yeah you can you can do you can do skype violin lessons i don't know what the problem is sure sure that's how it works anyways look for that next week until then thank you noel as ever and thank you everyone for listening we'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. Mm-hmm.